This episode of the Major Issues Podcast is brought to you by ComicBookClick.com. That's it, people. ComicBookClick.com is the one stop for all things Comic Book Click, our merchandise, our articles, and every single episode of the Major Issues Podcast. Visit ComicBookClick.com and remember, you, yes, you are worthy. Everybody out there in comic book land, my name is George Serrano, aka The Don, and if you're listening to this, you could only be here for one reason, and that's a brand new episode of the Major Issues Podcast, brought to you by ComicBookClick.com, and as always, I am never alone. Sir, please introduce yourself. I am the trusted Dan the Comic Book Man, everybody. Dan the Comic Book Man, uh, he's come back around ready to guest host a brand new episode of the Major Issues Podcast. But one of the odd things about this podcast as it stands is that initially when we created this podcast, um, almost three years ago at this point, uh, we were covering the latest and greatest things to come to comic books and comic book media. As somebody who was not um, an issue-to-issue reader, I was simultaneously reading the new hotness and also going back and educating myself on um, several other, you know, major stories in comics that I may not be familiar with. Um, and then always educating myself for every film release. That was, I would feel like the, oh, those were our pay-per-view moments, right? Like um, when we covered Birds of Prey or when we covered Ragnarok oh, most or of, Yeah, most likely every time we've covered, every time a comic book movie has come out, we cover it weekend, like weekday. Like you, it comes out on a Friday, expect Wednesday for there to be a recap and review of full the new spoilers. comic book movie that just... Yep. Yep, we're full spoilers. We've done Hellboy, we've done uh, Birds of Prey, we've done uh, Dark Phoenix. We've done Dark Phoenix, yeah. yeah. We've, we've, <laughs> d- we've done an entire phase of MCU, or a, at least a phase and a half. Yeah, I mean... At least a phase and a half you of can MCU. Say, you can almost guarantee that any comic book movie that's come out since 2018, we've covered uh, yeah, I, I even know we covered some 2017 ones, but I I know for a fact everything that came out from 2018 we've covered. No, one hundred percent because the first three episodes of our podcast was all the the, the month of December. Right, and majority of those so we are covered, comics yeah, and, and comics. Watchmen. <laughs> so as soon as 2018 hit, the very first comic book movie of 2018 we covered. The very last comic book movie of 2020 we covered. Yes, we have not missed a comic book movie coverage since our inception but even with that even with us doing our due diligence there seems to be you know um a stalling if you will about bringing some <laughs> of the comic book films that were supposed to come out this year into theaters um tenant was a bit of a guinea pig for a lot of these films and it seemingly underperformed even though the film i'm told is good uh and that is keeping things like black widow like um wonder woman and other films from coming out, which has jacked up the major issues uh, schedule, <laughs> covered schedule. But it's only caused us to get more creative. So when looking through uh, some of the things that we have covered and some of the things that we haven't, and looking around this month and this year, I realized uh, that there was a very special opportunity. Um, I want to say it was last year we did an episode where we eulogized the Marvel Netflix shows. Uh, Marvel yep. Netflix closed its doors, or the Netflix room in the Marvel house has its doors closed. Um, all of those shows were canceled. 
Um, and it was such a intricate and tied together world. And we were really going to miss it. Things Shows like Jessica Jones, shows like Daredevil, shows like um, Luke Cage, Punisher, The Defenders, all great shows. You know what I'm saying? I am. So, um, <laughs> I'm <interested. laughs> uh, God bless you. So, um, um, we, with, these, with these shows, you know, you had this connected universe. And, and, and even with all the great stuff that was happening in the MCU, we still had this little, this smaller scale version of um, our street level heroes. And one of the things that surprisingly we weren't able to cover or go back and cover was Jessica Jones season one, which in my opinion is the best season of the show. So I did some research. Turns out it came out five years ago so not only have we not covered it not only is it one of my favorite seasons of a superhero television show but we're coming close to the five-year anniversary of Kristen Ritter in the uh you know taking the mantle of Jessica Jones and reintroducing Jessica to a whole new host of um watchers tv watchers and the character itself is basically brand new um there there was the same age of century yeah yeah, and we covered both of those. We covered Century on this podcast. Um, one of the things that they did when they created, you know, the Marvel Max imprint, a more adult imprint, was try to introduce new characters that felt like they were already lived in. So in 2001, November 2001, uh, 19 years ago, Jessica Jones debuted in a Marvel Max imprint called Alias. Uh, the character and the series was created by writer Brian Michael Bendis. And artist Michael Gatos. Alias ran for 28 issues from 2001 to 2004, with most covers drawn by David W. Mack. Those covers are pretty cool, though, of Alias. Those covers are gorgeous. It's it's very like contemporary noir. Yeah. It's like these oil paintings in, and stuff. Plot almost. It, yeah, like, the, the, I, like I will never ever not bit. give credit to artwork. No matter what comic I've read, whether good or bad, that artwork was always stunning. Maybe it's because I can't draw, so anything that's drawn better than my ability to draw looks beautiful. But <laughs> yeah. credit where credits due. Always. At the end of the series of Alias, uh, Jones and some of those characters from that series moved on to another series called The Pulse, which was like a, a, a like a newspaper comic, like a comic about people writing for um, a newspaper in New York, basically. Uh, and so, what was funny was. Alias was originally going to star Jessica Drew, Spider-Woman. Um, but eventually they realized that it wasn't like the voice. Like the voice that they wanted, if they gave that voice to Jessica Drew, it would fundamentally change the character. Yeah. So they had to come up with a brand new character that felt like she existed in this world. And she, they came up with Jessica Jones. Um, Brian Michael Bendis did. And I kind of feel like that's sorry to cut you off. It's just this is the second time that I, this is the second time from a from a character. This is the second time that a character from the same company in the same like beginning decade has incorporated a brand new character never seen before. That's literally I'm older than yeah, but is being thrown into continuity of common comics and characters older than me. Right. You know, Je- Je- Jessica Jones is, is literally thrown into Earth six one six. Thrown in, but like you just said, has always been there. So, but but the way that that Marvel does it, I think this is Marvel's bread and butter, is organically giving us 
brand new characters that I can like literally say, tell my kids I was around for, mm-hmm. but have it feel like my parents would be telling me that they were around for it. Right, right. No, yeah, you're right. Because um, from what I've read so far in Alias, because I didn't read that much, but what I read so far, apparently she is like an ex-Avengers. Well, like um, she has I don't remember t- how early in the comic they say it, but she went to high school with Peter Parker. She had a crush on Peter Parker. Yeah, that that too. I knew that one. That so, I knew from a like, long time ago. That that dates her, right? Like that mm-hmm. puts her square in a certain time zone and puts her in the universe there. Um, and That would mean her and Spider-Man are the same age. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, that's a whole other thing because they keep, you know, pulling the years off of Pete to keep them all teenage-like and stuff. Always, um, man. Get, that's why Life Story is great. <laughs> I, I read the entire Alias run. I read um, the uh, Pulse run. Um, I was really digging just the character of Jessica Jones, but I think I read all that after the first season. I had n- almost no idea who the character was before. That. Oh, so you read this five years ago when the when the first season came out? Yeah, yeah. So nice. five years ago, um, 2015, that'd be a year before we start all of this. So I'm just doing my homework just to do it. That's right. En- engage my. Uh, well, when this came out, you were really only, to be honest with you, like four months shy, because of the around 2016s when you had the whole hatred of WWE and the right. watching every Batman and Superman movie stuff. So yep, yep. And this March came out what, like October of. T- this came out. Uh, like October. I know it came out in 2000. It says that the title was changed in 2000 in June. 25th, but let me find out there about uh, Jessica Jones season one. I should know the release date on that. Uh, November uh, 20th, 2015. Yep, there we go. Oh, so we're ten. So we're basically covering the, the ten, uh, the five year anniversary. Five year anniversary for the character in on the show. Nineteen year anniversary for the character in comics. Both in November. So this is God. I love when we do topical stuff. This is why we are the latest and greatest podcast. Because yeah, I, I love how we just accidentally get so topical. <laughs> yeah, I, I try. Um, one of the things about Jessica that stands out is, like you said, she has to be lived in in the, in the universe. So Jessica is super powered, but um, you know they found a way to keep her away from the majority of the major events in Marvel. Uh, one by explaining away the idea that she was under control of somebody else. And secondly, she becomes completely disenchanted with the idea of wanting to become a superhero, um, both in the comics and in the show. <laughs> She's like, I- I'm over it. I'm not. It's not something that I want to do. Um, do you remember first watching Jessica Jones? Did you what? Did you watch it when it debuted? Um, uh, yes. Yeah? Well, you think uh, of it? No, 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 no. Actually, I watched it two years later. I watched I I remember it was when I joined no a year later sorry it was when no uh, I joined comic book click right and I wanted to get more I wanted to just get more into things like I was I I always watched comic book movies yeah like I, that was uh, comics were always things that was in my life of course but I wanted to get more like involved in different worlds that I thought I wouldn't like like TV shows yeah so I remember watching the first season of Daredevil and I was underwhelmed until about halfway through. Like, I was kind of bored for, like, the first four episodes. Yeah. And then it's, then I started – then um, Kingpin smashes the dude's head in the car door. Yes. And Wesley – Wesley's my man. I love that dude. <laughs> and I started getting I started getting into it. And I uh, 
I think I watched Jessica Jones when, yeah, Iron Fist wasn't available yet, and now there was Luke Cage. It was literally only Daredevil Season 1, 2, and Jessica Jones. That's all that was available. Because right. I watched Luke Cage that the, the weekend. I remember watching Luke Cage the weekend it dropped. Uh, that I specifically remember. So, yeah, I watched Jessica Jones after watching two seasons of Daredevil. And then, oh, uh, man, every moment, every character, every line of dialogue, everything was absolutely perfect. I don't remember one second being bored. I, I just remember being all excited, loving everything. Malcolm was the coolest. Um, the twins were such a sad thing. Every death Kilgrave did was just like making my stomach turn. Yeah. Yeah. And even now going back and watching it, I totally forgot how graphic this show was. Yeah, it was. It was, uh, it's horrifying. uh, Oh my God. You know, at, at points it feels like. Like there's legit mutilation. Yep. In this show. Like, th- th- that's not a joke. There's loss of limbs. There's loss of extremities. <laughs> um, there like, is th- there's countless uh, points of suicide. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, it does go off the rails. Um, and the- One of the sickest things was the, was Malcolm's story. It was one of the ones that hit me. That it, Yeah, there's body mutilation in the show. But just I'm all about the empathy, the empathy di- drama and the empathy writing. So, like, if you can make me, like empathize with a character and make me just keep thinking about it and feel bad and bad and bad yeah you succeeded season one succeeded with everything i tried to do that's interesting because like you said the first two seasons of jessica jones sorry of daredevil preceded jessica jones so for the most part um they were setting their ground with somebody who is quite familiar at the very least you've seen the daredevil film um, he's appeared in comics and video games. Everyone kind of gets the Daredevil character. So with Jessica... Blind lawyers, sonar powers, yeah. Right. With Jessica, they had to introduce her to a whole new set of, of people, a whole new set of Marvel fans, people who were already willing to buy anything Marvel was selling so long as it felt like it existed in the same universe as everything else. And I think it's important to note that this 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 is... When, at this point, this was the, the name Marvel wasn't synonymous with comics. When people thought Marvel, they went straight to Disney's Marvel. Right, right. So everything that this Marvel was selling had to be something that we expected from Disney's Marvel. There also wasn't a lot of Marvel live-action shows. I mean, we have Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. for the most part. At this time? At this time, we only had, what, two, right? Two what? Two... Marvel shows? shows at the at at the time of Jessica Jones coming out for the very first time beforehand we only had what two MCU Marvel shows yeah Mar- uh, Daredevil and Agents Daredevil of Shield and Agents of Shield yeah and, you, and by that point DC already had an entire connected universe right at least on their shows <laughs> mm-hmm. where their shows were that's what I mean the Arrowverse yeah the Arrowverse had an entirely connected universe by this point right and so like Jessica Jones in my opinion because we had only been given uh, Daredevil was such a uh, drastic change in style and form and um, in narrative because it's a different show. And while Jessica has powers and she does get into fisticuffs with people, it's a much more emotional show, in my opinion. Way less action, even though there's action in the show. It's not actionless, but the action is not the main event of this series, in my opinion. I'm, I'm going to bring something up real quick. Sorry, because I think it's imp- I, I have to bring this up because it's very important. All right, so I have a friend 
a female friend who's been in a handful of very toxic, abusive relationships. And I wasn't thinking about any of that when I was watching this, rewatching this season. And I went to text her, yo, there's, if you've never seen the show, Jessica Jones, it's on Netflix. You should check it out. I think it's a really awesome show. I wanted to just tell somebody about it before I even sent that message. I had to think, wait a minute, this could be a very triggering show for some people. So this yes. show is not, it all comes around to me saying this show is not a very easy show to get it, to try and sell females on, women on. I know like, it's hard because a lot of women are going to feel very triggered by the mere subtle dialogue. Like before you even meet Kilgrave, just the way Jessica has PTSD and the way he's like ominously described and explained by from everybody else. Like, you know, it's not like the last time. It's, are you sure it's not like the last time? Like stuff like that. I do agree that um, that the imagery, some of the dialogue could be a bit triggering. But I actually think that out of the four, females might flock to Jessica Jones the most. Because while it does tackle some very vulnerable um, and sensitive subject matter, I think it does it well. I think oh, it, no, of course. I think it's a very it, empowering woman a move, a show for women. Right. And I think that while the subjects are maybe raw – because of how they handle them, um, it's it's rewarding. If that makes any sense, you know. Well, that's all. That's all. Um, the list. What's her name? Um, oh God, what was the create the Melissa showrunner Rosenberg. of this show? I knew it was Rosenberg, yeah. but I started not. I started questioning myself because I know that I, that kind of sounds like the name of the actress from Big Bang Theory. Oh, I'm not sure. The the blonde chick that dates uh, the everybody that watches Big Bang Theory will know what I'm They're talking about. But I could have sworn. Right now. All the fans let let them yell at me, but yeah, Melissa Rosenberg handled this show beautifully, and there was nobody else more capable to have a to be a showrunner for this kind of show than a woman. Do you know what Melissa Rosenberg is most known for? Mm. Right, no Twilight, the Twilight series of films. I mean, there you go. I think every, I think (laughs) all of them. I mean, (laughs) if I'm not mistaken, I think she wrote oh uh, every single one. I've never seen one. I'm assuming I'm I'm talking to Dan, the comic book movie man. Sometimes, so. Uh, so I have seen all of them. I've seen all five. Unapologetically, I've, I, unapologetically, I've seen three of them in theaters. I've like I've legit seen them in theaters. So I could tell you straight up, I love those movies because uh, I right, when you I'm you want to know why new things here today. I right, because I right, when it comes down to when you know that a movie understands what it's trying to do and trying to be you feel so like happy that they're accepting yourself. It's like when your friend comes out the closet and it's like, you know, you feel happy for them. Well, that's how I felt about Doom Patrol. Like, I understand Doom Patrol is not everybody's cup of tea, but it definitely knows what it is. No, exactly. Even better example. An example like Doom Patrol that literally has a cockroach on a, a garbage can during the apocalypse chanting Bible scriptures while a donkey shoots a universe out of its ass. Yep. Like, Go back and check it, out those episodes, people. It knows what it is. When something knows what it is, and it's full on being that genre, mm-hmm. you can't help. I, well, me personally, I'm not going to speak for anybody else. I can't personally help but accept that and uh, love it. It's like, damn, you know what you're doing. Like most parody movies, I like most parody movies because they know what they are and they know what they're doing. Good parody movies are smart because you have to understand the genre you're parodying before you do it, or else the joke doesn't land. 
Exactly. So, but all to go down to Melissa Rosenberg. It's like, if if a guy, I, I just, I don't know. I just feel like a woman, a female, has a better chance of being able to capture every bit of the the abuse, the gaslighting, the manipulation, the PTSD oh, that a woman go. All of that, yeah. But you're right. Yeah, it, it, you can only get it from that point of view. Yes, 100%. unless a guy literally, like you know, literally went through that. Like, and I'm not saying it doesn't happen to men. No, no <laughs> one know, is saying that it doesn't happen to but you have, it doesn't happen. We just have a heroine you have to understand, in this You have to understand that situation. it happens to certain people more. Yes. Once you understand that certain things happen to certain groups of people more than other groups of people, but that it doesn't mean that that evilness won't happen to you, it's just you have to understand that. That's a very wise thing to say. And also, um, you know, when when a certain group is disproportionately uh, abused or attacked in that way, it's not the time to then say, "Well, also, what about know, me?" It's what about side. me, right? Right. Yeah, and that's that happens a lot in today's uh, climate. It's um, too. There's too many "what about me" isms, and it's like the kid at the birthday party that's complaining that he's not opening gifts. Or Bro, the, it's or not the girl birthday. at the birthday party who blows out the candles when they leave her party. That is yep. literally perfect. Yes, don't be the girl that blows out someone else's candles. There's no time for what about meisms in today's climate. Let them play with the ball, man. Don't pop the ball. Exactly. That's all it is. But we're here covering the first season of uh, Jessica Jones, like I said, based on the character. My favorite first name. season of Just Like You. A uh, f- uh, former superhero who opens up her own detective agency after her superhero career comes to an end at the hands of Kilgrave. It's said in the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, sharing its continuity with films and other television series of the franchise. The season was produced by Marvel Television in association with ABC Studios and Tall Girl Productions, with Melissa Rosenberg serving as showrunner. In October 2013, seven years ago, Marvel and Disney announced that Marvel Television and ABC Studios would provide Netflix with live-action series centered around Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Iron Fist, and Luke Cage, leading up to the miniseries based on The Defenders. Melissa Rosenberg was brought on to showrun the Jessica Jones series um, and reconfigured oh, the series was reconfigured as a page one do-over from an original project she had developed in December of 2010, three years prior, for ABC. Now, put a pin in that. Do you think we could have got a as good of a show if this show was on ABC? Hell no. Hell the no? Very, okay. No, because the very first line in the comics is "fuck." That's a very good point. <laughs> like the, the right, like the very first line in the comics is "fuck." If you can't, I all right, I'm not gonna be the kind of gatekeeper that says source material, like you know, something has to be exactly to the source material, unless you know you're specifically in the narrative doing it. Like something like Game of Thrones was literally taking word for word dialogues and scene for scene dialogues and changing it. I, but, I, don't, I don't, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I think the main issue is never whether or not people take the source material it's whether or not they make a better decision if you if if you make a worse decision people will always go well why didn't you just do what was yeah, already written <laughs> it you. was already thank written you for finally helping me figure out what it is when you adapt the source material and you make a better decision which some of game of thrones have done then no i'm like oh yeah it. no, no one one but when you do something worse it's like, but you already had something great that I you had a slam that. dunk written down for you, and you chose you not to do, to do that do it. Yeah. and do your own uh, uh, alley oop, and then you missed. So now what? Now we ain't got no, we got no score. We ain't got no points, B. 
And that's the problem. So, yeah, no, I don't think this show would have survived on ABC specifically because of not just the, I say capturing tone. The tone of the comic books was fuck your first <laughs> word. So then, so then the, the very, when you go to Netflix, the very first scene you get is Jessica throwing a guy through a window. And that's in the comics, right? Isn't that in the first issue as well? Something similar? Something like, yeah. Yeah, it was something similar where she says, fuck, some guy is like, you know, freaking out about being cheated on and he tries to take the blame out on her. Right. If you would have had something on ABC, I swear to you, one, every piece of um, exposition would have felt forced. All the monologues about what who Kilgrave was and the kind of person he is and blah, blah, blah would have felt like some This Is Us melodrama 7 o'clock at night daytime special. Like I was just listening to what you were saying, and it, it reminded me of something that I read about uh, uh, in pertaining to this series. Um, at one point, and we'll, it's, a, it's a deep topic, so we'll definitely get into it. At one point, Jessica uh, basically verbalizes that she was raped by Kilgrave, right? Yes. She uses, yes, the words, he, yes. she uses the words, I was raped, you raped me. Uh, and he was, hates that. He even says it. Right. Oh, I hate that word. So two like, thing, two things about that. And now is not the time to get into it because we'll, we'll get that time. But um, the first thing is that um, a study was done. And it turns out that men much, would much rather confess to sexual assault than rape. Even if it's this, if, if the, if the, if it, if, if it is rape. You understand know what I'm saying? So long as it's yes. called sexual assault as opposed to rape. They'd cop to it. Rape is so yep. is so taboo. It's 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 what it's what um Stormfront said in the boys. Everybody agrees with me until you start being called a Nazi. Yep. Oh my god, not a Nazi. I just hate all other races. <laughs> you know, it's like wait, what? So what? Yeah, the, what's exactly? Making it's, like, it's like it's like I didn't rape her. I just you know forcefully inserted myself into it. It's sexual harassment. It's not <laughs> the same. Yeah, exactly. No people, men hate. I said it today. I said it today earlier in another context. Men hate that word. And the second that word starts getting thrown around, it's a different ballgame. Another, another uh, thing about that statement that is a little bit sickening is that when that happened, when that episode, not when that episode dropped because this entire series dropped all on the same day. Yeah. When, when it dropped, um, Melissa Rosenberg was worried that people were going to, you know, send letters call netflix all willy-nilly to talk about the r word that they drop right you know in this series about superheroes and stuff and, and, they, and the way they but the way they dropped it was brilliant and she didn't she wasn't inundated with those calls she was inundated with calls about people being perturbed by the fact that a black man was with a white woman you kidding me nope you kidding me? <laughs> nope. And the thing is, the worst part about it is that relationship is canonical. It's not like they made that up. It's not like they, they literally they... have a kid that was like wasn't yep. that kid like trained by like Spider Man or something? She got like... a kid. She got a little little. I think it's Danielle. A daughter. Cage. Isn't it a daughter? Cage. Yeah. Yeah. Danielle Cage. Yeah. Yep. Bro, so are you like... kidding me? They were literally created in the comics as a couple. They're the power couple. Yeah, power man and power woman. <laughs> Like, like they're they're literally the power couple. But that was too much for some people. Not the rape, not the loss of limbs, not the not the, the traumatic uh, abuse of power when it comes to relationships. Not getting cut a thousand times by a butcher's knife. 
Nope. Not only it, the, the line that, that people didn't want to cross was that a white woman was with a black man. That is absolutely madness. That is. That's I mean, that, we've that's seen. Stomach, no, that's stomach turning. We've seen this weekend that at least half this country is fucking mad, right? Like at least half this country uh, doesn't have yeah, the, but, you know. I, you know what I bet you was? I bet you was, uh, you know, inadequate certain fair-skinned men. One hundred percent, it was fair-skinned men with a little bit of inadequacy at a certain area. I highly it, doubt it, that. Um, I don't know, women man, were, it, were so perturbed that they had to feel like they had to call. Uh, no, exactly. <laughs> it was definitely not white women. It was definitely not no Spanish men or Spanish women. It was it was nobody other than fair skinned men with a little bit of inadequacy where it counts. And I'm sorry, but I'm just you know what? I won't even say that word. I'm just gonna say if you know what you are down there, then you shouldn't need to be perturbed by such a you know brolic African American man with a skinny old little small white woman. And it wasn't like it was demonizing all white men, right? It's (laughs) it's all about confidence, man. It's just And it's all about context. Like, it's just this series. You have every other series in the world if you want to see your white protagonist get with another white protagonist. Well, you know what? what? I think it was that scene where it was the whole who Luke was originally sleeping with. When you find out that – when you see he's sleeping with a black woman and you find out that that black woman's (laughs) husband is a white man, I think they are kind of, you know – making a statement i'm not i'm not trying to to help these crazy racists but i'm just trying to like see both sides no totally, when you do totally. make when you do make a scene where a black woman is with the black man through cheating and it comes to find out that the black woman the, the, the cheating black woman uh, i don't remember that i remember her husband yeah. being named anton or something like that no but when the, remember the whole bar fight between the both of them oh, the, i thought that was both. like his boys that wasn't no I guess he, he, he said you ruined sense. my he said you ruined my life like the guy was trying to tell him Luke was all, of that, all of that was garbage too because all of that was Jessica's fault because Jessica lied true and said true. that she was she was hired by uh, that guy and she wasn't <laughs> but yeah no I, I took a look at I watched I, I recently watched the episode yeah it was the whole dialogue was he's like sleep it off go home to your wife come you know everything will be fine and guys like you ruined my life you ruined my marriage and it was just this like you know unkempt wavy haired white guy with like a, a military bomber jacket like he just looked like yours he looked like me he looked like me so right. when you kind of throw that kind of like visual storytelling in there i can't lie that i don't see why some certain people would be angered but at the same time don't show your colors just you know do what i do and just drink oh yeah i'm having some fun well what jessica that. does and drink and that she does. <laughs> that she does. Um, in December 2014, um, the official title of this show that they were developing, Jessica Jones, was revealed to be Marvel's uh, AKA Jessica Jones. And then that was shortened to Marvel's Jessica Jones. The AKA was supposed to be a um, nod to alias because AKA basically means alias. You know what I mean? Uh yeah, aka as as known or, as also known as also known as okay. And when you're also known as something else, it kind of becomes an alias. Uh, uh, they yeah. were considering calling the show Alias, but which they should have. But what, you know why they couldn't? Because it's well, an actual meant, show called to, Alias. <laughs> I meant to tell you this when we talked about it together off air, bro. Nobody watched that stupid Jennifer Gardner show. I only remember that they had Lita on the show, and Lita broke her neck <laughs> during her Hurricane Rana. <laughs> 
on that show for no reason. She broke her neck on a on a, a, a production of an American television show as opposed to in the ring. She broke her neck doing some, some sort so of So what does that tell you how, how fake movies and TV are and, and how Jen, not and, fake uh, wrestling is? And that Jessica is also the Jessica that gave us Fantastic Four. So. Less said, the better. Um, uh, the season consists of 13 hour-long episodes I think it could be shorter we'll talk about that in a bit Brian Michael Bendis the creator of Jessica Jones' character saw the rough cuts of a few episodes and showered them with praise he, he did not go the Alan Moore route when it came to this adaptation you know you, you, you know you know. I don't know why Alan Moore does that I mean it's his stuff bro, B. I could totally yeah, but Zach, totally yeah but Zack Snyder knocked Watchmen out of the park but that's a conversation for another day oh, so I totally un- for another day. oh and by the way and maybe who, who the hell cares people uh, pay for this kind of stuff um, I was <laughs> considering I was considering revisiting Watchmen the book uh, soon oh I'll let you borrow it you wanna borrow it so uh, yeah just spray some uh, some hand sanitizer on it Send that sucker uh, over. Yo, listen, but, listen, but we'll be sir. honest. I'm thinking because when no we sticky did, pages here. When we covered Watchmen the movie, we didn't really talk about the book all that much. And in two weeks, we are set to cover Doomsday Clock. So maybe going back to Watchmen for a little bit uh, will be some fun. Maybe we'll oh, do yeah, that for the, our Patreon. I got the whole like thing here, really big. It's like fucking like what is it, like Size fucking like. Do you want to get into this killer cast? Do you want to get into this killer cast of people? Let's get into it. Okay. Uh, Kristen Ritter plays Jane. Nope. Jessica Jones. (laughs) Uh, Probably most known at this time for playing Jane in Breaking Bad. Uh, Uh, What was her name? Jane, Jane Margolis. Jane Margolis. And we also had her play the woman in Apartment 23. I think that's what it's called. <laughs> Something like it's that. It's the bit. Don't trust the bitch in Apartment Twenty Three. There you go. She was short-lived that. two season show. If every, man, that's my recommendation for the week. Don't trust the bitch in Apartment Twenty Three. It's on Hulu. There you go. Hulu, <gasps> call me like we like Netflix calls out like Brains recommendations. We gotta get dude. Dude, I'm telling you, call to action. Who's gonna call me? Call to Who's action. Who's gonna call me the way Netflix calls Allison Brie? <laughs> that's my baby. It's gonna happen. Hulu, call <laughs> me. <laughs> that's my baby. Um, so. I, before I r- read what I wrote down, what I wrote down, what I wrote down, what I wrote down, Ritter kills it. In my opinion, she is awesome. She's very, very cool in this role. C- cool as a cucumber. When she has to show pain and vulnerability, she's awesome at it. When she has attitude and all that kind of stuff, I started getting Supergirl syndrome from her in the sense that when in season two they introduce a love interest, and I'm like, no, get away, get away from. I just want to see Jessica do her thing. <laughs> you know, um, and that yeah, I don't like th- when they decide to give certain characters love interests. Like, they're, like their whole I, I, I feel like certain characters should just naturally be asexual. Because for an example, a character like Todd from Bre- from BoJack Horseman, right? That character was absolutely perfect without ever needing a love interest. And every time the show tried introducing a love interest, it was just this funny way of beating around the bush to basically say the guy's asexual. Right. So some characters to me should not asexual in the the sense of um sexuality, but asexual in the sense that you never really see them in a relationship. I also was rooting for Luke and Jessica, <laughs> so I was like, "What do you don't don't no one else come by Jessica but Luke?" Yeah, but I'm rooting for Luke and Misty. At that at that point, I was rooting for Luke and Misty. 
over Luke and Claire? Man, Misty Knight is just yeah, she is. She's, she's just she's, she's everything. She's perfection. <laughs> oh, she you know, a, you know who canonically dates her, right? In the comics. Don't tell me Iron Fist. Iron Fist. Danny Rand. I knew it. I knew it. I just I felt like I knew it because I yeah. just all that. I don't swag. Know. It's all the swag, bro. You know, it's the iPod, and it's the hobo uh, bathrobe. It's the big Lebowski. It's robe. the big Lebowski robe, <laughs> and it's the curls. <laughs> it's those natural waves that he has going on and uh, on those Kung Lung, uh, you know, bits of the hair. The fact that, that these that the fact that these Tibetan monks gave the first white man in existence the power that they've that they've never given away to anybody, and he just runs away. <laughs> he left. I'm not. I'm he not gonna literally left. Li- no, do don't do it. I'm not going to start I'm you. I'm not going to start you. Uh, so talk to me. What do you think about Kristen Ritter as Jessica Jones and keep it to season one if you can do that? I don't trust anybody else doing the Jessica Jones role. I'm so I, I she's my she's my female Hugh Jackman. She's like like I, I just I really can't see anybody else filling those shoes perfectly from the, the character Michael Bendis made to the, the character that um Melissa Rosenberg made, like there's nobody else I can see as Jessica Jones. She has the perfect long black ravenette hair. She has the perfect pale skin. She looks great in blue jeans and a leather jacket with boots. She has like that perfect it's such size a simple it's such a simple like motif, right? But she kills Right. Yep. Yeah, it's just leather jacket, black shirt, blue jeans, black boots. That's it. She and it. and, and her size and stature in the comics, same in the comics. She looks, she looks like she's five two, one hundred and twenty pounds yeah. in the comics. Yeah. And Kristen Ritter herself is just naturally a small woman. Right. So she looks like she can be inti- like like people wouldn't be intimidated by her because they don't know that she's like you know super strong. Right. So it and from like I said, the very first word of the comic was fuck, and Kristen Ritter is the the natural resting bitch face. Like she's like the opposite end of the coin of. Aubrey Plaza, yeah. Like where you would have people, Aubrey Plaza, few people and something can do wholesome. an eye roll, right? Few people can do an eye roll. Like oh, Christian she, Ritter. she literally. They have a gif of her Rolling doing her an eyes. eye roll. Yeah, like she is the perfect eye roller. Yeah, no, she's she is perfect. And Jessica Jones totally sells it in every way. And honestly, as someone that's been a fan of Kristen Ritter for a very long time, it warms my heart seeing that she's a comic book superheroine. Yeah. Any anytime an actor or an actress. Is either a in a comic book movie where they're playing a much beloved side character, or they're playing a hero. It's just like it, I, I feel like the kid inside them is coming out, so the kid inside me is coming out. Like, right? I, so and, yeah, and the thing is, like, perfect. We've seen the effect playing superheroes has on certain people. It really does make them feel like they have to do more in the world <laughs> because no, people and look at that's them the as their heroes. Part about it. Exactly. So that's what I love about certain actors that that take that superhero role to heart. Like Mark because Ruffalo. Now, now they're not. They, they don't have to worry about adults and teenagers, you know, looking to them as as superheroes. You have to worry about the eight year old kids that are literally for the first time seeing a Captain America movie, and their Captain America is Chris Evans. So yeah. these little kids are that who you know, you know, sad to say, are in the Make a Wish program. They're not asking to see some normal Joe Schmo dressed in a Captain America outfit. Their wish is to see Chris Evans dressed as Captain America. Yeah. And so, yeah, you, the, the, and then the the uh, the effect of that, right? You, that's something that you might sign up for, let's say, once or twice. You do three or four of those 
where people people are looking at you with their last breath as a hero, how can you not rise to that occasion? How can you not, you know? Yeah, if that doesn't make you not just do, but feel like you're a better person than you were the day before, then then maybe you just you're just lost. You're like that monologue from Fargo season one about the guy that gave all his money, then his kidney, then killed himself. Yep. Just kept, you know, like, um, it, it, this, it has to be cyclical. You have to put the effort and energy in and it will always come back at you. These these fans of these series, especially the MCU, are rabid. But there's a there's a love there. There's a love and an appreciation there. Um, you want to believe that all of the people of the world, especially those that you uh, put in responsibility of your safety or, you know, your well-being, doctors, uh, cops, government, you want to think that they are always doing the best for you. And we live in a, in a world that's so pessimistic and so cynical that and, – and Jessica Jones is a perfect character for that, right? She's full of cynicism, but at various points in time – um, the world dares her to be more. The world dares yeah, I her also love to the use why herself. She, I love why she's so disattached, uh, disassociated, so yeah. not attached. Anymore. I love her reason because it's all for protection. As it most, as it usually is, right? But it's also fear and trauma because she's specifically said, I don't know which one of these random strangers that I pass by in the middle of the street is somebody controlled by Kilgrave and they he sent them to kill me. Like, you know, like, She's afraid, Man, when, but she's also Luke, afraid of being controlled by him. When Luke called her a piece of shit, I was sitting there like, "Man, <laughs> man, this is hard. <laughs> this is this is some rough stuff." Um, and this is perfect writing for. I I think this and Star Girl are two of the perfect examples of helping educate and helping co- not coddle but like protect young women and women because. A show like Jessica Jones can help a girl that that just got out of a, a Kilgrave-ish relationship feel like she can take everything on. Right. Yeah. And it's beautiful. It's beautifully written, beautifully directed. Yeah. God, I, I, I'm so glad we're getting a chance to praise this show. <laughs> let's, let, let's talk about Jessica as a character. So as a child, Jessica was in a car accident that killed her parents and put her in a coma. After she regained consciousness, Jessica was legally adopted by talent agent Dorothy Walker, therefore becoming the adopted sister of Trish Walker, uh, who has her own show called It's Patsy. Your friend Patty. It's Patsy. Oh, Patsy. It's Patsy. Patsy. It's your friend Patsy. Yep. As a because I, at the end doesn't Cougar go? Oh, it's just Patsy. <laughs> he's, it's he's just tight. Patsy. He's very upset. Uh. So, as an adult, Jessica crosses paths with Kilgrave and spends a year under his control, snapping out of it after she kills Luke Cage's wife, Reva Connors, on Kilgrave's orders, which we'll go into. She experiences post-traumatic stress disorder as a result of what Kilgrave did to her and drinks in access to numb her pain and guilt. Uh, Dan, did you know that Kristen Ritter put on 10 pounds of muscle for her role and trained for two months before filming began? I didn't know, but 100%, I actually believe it because there's a lot of scenes mm-hmm. where you can see, like, she has, like, sleeveless shirts on in one scene. And you can see the toneness in her arms. There's yeah, other scenes where she's, like, wearing a bra. Yeah. You can see her You can see her six-pack. Like, when she's wearing panties, you can see, like, you know, like her leg. Like, and the fighting definitely looks like she didn't have a stunt worker. And I didn't mean It seemed to... like she was doing her own fights. Just like Annie, you know? I'm not trying to sexualize her. But there oh, no, comes this isn't about sexualization, yeah. Where I'm just like, she is sexy. <laughs> and I can't 
right? Like that's a I, thing. I think there's a difference between sexualizing and finding someone attractive. When you sexualize someone, it's when you trivialize all of their abilities to be a person and only look at their vanity. And only, so and, look, say, uh, and only look at their utility for sex. Yes. So if you only saw Jessica Jones as a prospect for sex and didn't really buy into a woman being that strong and capable of, of having her own life and doing – then you're sexualizing. Right. 100%. But – when you're looking at a when you're looking at a character like Jessica Jones and you're loving her story, wanting her to t- succeed, loving the fact that we're getting a Power Girl show, and finding the live action version sexual, like sexy, it's it's not a bad thing. I mean, I'm not here to mansplain for anybody. I'm just saying <laughs> there's got to be there's there has to be a there's fine a middle line. ground. It, it, yeah, there yeah. there has to there has to be a fine line between sexualizing a woman and seeing her attractive and a fully capable personality. I think that line uh, differentiates depending on your own physical attractiveness. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, We're not here for that. No, we're not. And like I said again, the show um, was going to be called Alias, but because of the real Alias, they didn't get called Alias. So then they created Alias Investigations. You see the door with Alias Investigations. Are you ready for some of the people that was considered for the role of Jessica Jones before Kristen Ritter was cast? I think I am, so let's do this. Let's, let's try it out. Let's do it. Uh, Marin Ireland. Hold on. I'm going to I'm, I'm go straight to Google because I have to look this up. I have to see if it's <laughs> okay. any, anywhere Marin near. Marin Ireland. Uh, you said Mar- Marin. Marin Ireland. She, she's 41, and she was best known for her work in... What? <laughs> but reasons to nope. be pretty? I don't. Uh... Oh, she was sissy in Umbrella Academy, season two. Oh! She was the uh, she was the the other woman. Yeah. Okay. Yes, the 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 lesbian chick yes. that wasn't fully lesbian. Yep. She was also in the. Yep. Irish nope. 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 Not a fan. Uh, she's she's too Southern Belle for me. Too can't Southern buy her. Belle. All right. I can't Je- buy her in a black wig. Jessica Day Gao, G O U. W? G? Jess? G O U G O U W, American oh. actress. Oh, she was an arrow. Who's um, she playing the arrow? Huntress, the Huntress. Yes. She kind of could have killed it. She kind of yes. could have killed okay. it. Okay, okay, bit. okay. Yes. Huntress, Huntress from Arrow Season 1 definitely would have killed Jessica Jones. 100%. All right, I buy that. Yeah, we'll put, we'll put, a, pin, we'll put a pin in that. We'll, so, we'll put a pin in that one because that's kind of cool. Teresa Palmer? Oh, 100%. But who's Teresa Palmer? But uh you ever seen Zombieland? Yes. She was the she was that blonde chick from Zombieland. Um the zombie that uh roommate something uh, Oh, was she was the first person that uh the one that he was trying to date, the one in the in the apartment? Yes. She was also she was in Warm Bodies. Yes. Uh, she was the Lights she out. Was blonde chick. Uh Axel Ridge. The Point Break remix she was in. Uh, but oh, I, a lot on, of these I don't. I, a lot of these I don't remember. The Grudge Two. I've the problem never seen. is Teresa Palmer's too blonde. I've I am only number seen, four. Bear. Yeah, I've only seen Teresa Palmer as a blonde, so I don't know if I could buy Teresa Palmer. See, I would buy that if Teresa Palmer was originally up for Trisha's role. Okay, that's um, something I can buy. Like if she was up for Trisha's role, I would buy that. One of the things. Uh, the, what the reason why I, I'm, I'm doing this? This was actually written in reverse order, but I'm doing it in. Reverse, <laughs> because 
I know I know who the last actress is. Um, how oh. do you feel about Jessica Jones being played by <clears throat> Alexandra Daddario? Uh, I don't think yeah, that, I don't think she could have done it. I think this, uh, I think I mean, those eyes are a little bit too soft. Uh, okay, okay, she does have really blue doe eyes. She does have Annie Edison eyes. I think those eyes Sheesh. are a little bit too soft. Just a little bit too soft. We're talking about like Kristen Ritter for just to like amp her up and give her some credit. She's the man who talked down Walter White, right? Like she's the man who don't give so a damn. Like, she don't, yeah, she don't, she don't care. Him. She'll blackmail. She'll do. Uh, this, that, and the third. She is physically attractive, but also, you know, a, a firecracker. She, she's somebody who will, you know. Oh no! For something about Kristen Ritter's roles is she's always played the "you don't fuck with me" role. She's probably one of the greatest actresses today because you can look at all of her roles as something of empowerment. Don't trust a bitch in apartment 23 was a very sexually liberated, very independent woman who didn't take shit from men and didn't care and wasn't someone who got abused and mistreated. Like a lot of her roles was it was the same thing with uh, Judy Greer. A lot of Kristen Ritter's roles was she was the sassy. I talk back. Fuck you. Best friend. Right. That was always what I saw her. And she was always the best friend that no one wanted to really mess with. I think she was in the dilemma. With um, what's his favorite? Vince Vaughn and Chris and Kevin James. Huh. I know like that she's, um, she's always. No, go ahead. What's up? No, no. no I was just I gonna say I that. know that the uh that Melissa Rosenberg had Kristen Ritter on the top of her list, regardless. Like that was the one that she wanted, regardless of who she cast. Just, she just casting was gonna bring was probably, in. She had Kristen Ritter in the head. Yeah, choice. yeah. It was yeah. probably the casting directors like, let's just see how these other ones go but not Kristen Ritter I'm glad that she's I 100% if I'm glad anybody is a comic book superhero character like character on their resume it's Kristen Ritter because I feel like if anybody needs that on their resume it would be her I can see that we got Mike Coulter as Luke Cage the debut of my man a bartender Fallen with a mysterious Hero. past and a bit of charm after his wife is killed mysteriously uh, he spends his nights entertaining women and keeping up his bar. At least in this you know series, that's his, that's his role. Um, I love that every time he's on screen, yellow is the cinematography. Yep, because they know that Luke Cage rocks that yellow t-shirt. Uh, Mike Coulter, it took me a little while. It, I, had to, I had to warm up to him and he had to romance me. If, really? It, yeah, because I didn't know Jessica that well, but I knew Luke, you know? And I think, I, yeah, I was about to say, I felt like I knew Luke, I felt like I had more of a history with Luke Cage and Iron Fist than I did with Jessica Jones. And that's the thing, they hadn't named their Iron Fist yet, right? So, like, I'm looking no. at half of the tag team, and I'm like, I hope they do well, because the other half is going to come, and, you know, we'll talk, that's a whole other episode when push comes to shove. Um, Mike Coulter, I think, does a do great job. Uh, he also does a great job in Luke Cage. Um, this is such a, this is such a morsel of his story, right? Like, oh, 100%. if you've seen Luke Cage season one and two, this is such a blip on all of that is Luke Cage that it's interesting that they found this is a way to incorporate the smell him. that comes from the kitchen. You're like, you know, when you smell something from the kitchen, you're like, yo, what are you cooking? That's right. really good. Like, the, the, yeah, Luke Cage's cameo. I'm gonna call them straight up cameos, right? Because he had a total of like three episodes, four episodes probably. Like, you don't really see Luke Cage much and. Yeah. Like, he finally got screen time when he was in the end. Right. And then you don't see him 
again, like, so, yeah, oh, so this was, was definitely so the smell good. coming from, this was definitely the smell coming from the kitchen. Right. But it's like, it, it you know, for me, I think the, the, the thing that initially sells me is just doing it, just, just adapting something. Okay. It, is, it isn't until I see a trailer and get a casting and, and see it with my own two eyes that then I, I service my full opinion. But the second I hear something is being adapted, I'm automatically sold, If especially if I have a, a history with certain characters. I played Marvel Ultimate Alliance 1 and 2 growing up. Iron Fist and Power Man were in there. Oh, Ultimate so, Alliance is so great. I don't know if you heard uh, the episode with me and the Superman superfan, but I often talk about how personal comic book reading is. It's such a personal experience. Mm-hmm. You may share it with your friends and family, or not, you don't share it with your family. You may share it with your friends. Um, but the voices that you hear when you read, those are very personal. You know, and sometimes yep. those are, that's dictated by maybe a live action appearance. But oftentimes, it's just your imagination. So when somebody comes and is cast for these roles, I do often unfairly cross my arms because it's like, you better be as good or better than my imagination. Ah, uh, so you're initially like, all right, let's. You get you. You're not like you know put off, but you you want to be wowed first. You're, you're a little just impressed. arms crossed. Yeah, it, you have your arms crossed. You're the guy in the in the strip club that's like, I'm I'm gonna start throwing ones first, and then if let's see if you deserve fives and tens. A hundred percent. And <laughs> um, I think that Luke Cage in this series, you know, will if you want to watch. If you want to listen to my opinions about Luke Cage, we've done a complete series one and two. Sorry, season one and two series is English. Might be getting something rubbed off from the last episode. But uh, <laughs> seasons one and two, complete reviews are a part of the Major Issues podcast. Go back and listen to those. But I think that's the only show we completed from yeah. The Marvel Netflix that, like we never did it for season one. Uh, I would have to look back and. I don't think I'm we gonna... did Daredevil season one. That, that, that I would be before think, this, in two thousand fifteen. So it's like, huh? Maybe, maybe we go back to. No, because I know off, I know off, off air. We were going over our heads the other day of which Marvel Netflix shows we have covered and which ones we haven't, or which we've completed and haven't. And yeah, let me. I'll check Daredevil for you because. Yeah, let me know. And I... you know what? The quickest way to check Daredevil: comicbookclick.com. You type Daredevil in the search bar. And boom. That's why I love our website. It's amazing. Uh, uh, we've done seasons. Three. You three, did right? season three. No, you did three as a complete episode itself. Like right. its own episode. And then you did R.I.P. Marvel Netflix. I never did season more- two? You didn't even do one. Oh, this is madness. We're going to have to go back and get on the Daredevil. We're going to have to like seriously. But before you we did, do. Before we let's do. Let's do Jessica Jones. Let's do Jessica Jones. Uh, Mike Coulter was extremely charming in this. He had to be charming in that pilot where they get down and dirty, which is also something that I think, uh, in following what your sentiment was, is something that wouldn't have been on ABC. Nope. That's superpowered nope. sex, which, in my opinion, trumps the uh, the boys' superpowered sex. Um <gasps> Okay, now you now now we're now we're talking just a little bit crazy. I, I don't want to compare. <laughs> All I'm saying, saying is this happened five years words. prior. In the five years that it took for the boys to get this on screen, I don't think they upped the ante enough. Okay, here how I think they did up the ante. This was power sex through love. That on the other hand, that nah, it should have been love. worse than it should have been worse than. 
It should have been. They should have been. He should have been pulling he her hair out, and it should have been growing from the healing he factor. Out her tits. <laughs> he put laser beams on her. Tits. Only on the major issues podcast will you ever hear the term superpowered tits, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and that's because we run a tight ship here on but the major no, issues this, podcast. I don't think the power couple itself. I don't think Jessica Jones's love with Luke Cage would have been handled very well on ABC. I think it. Every I still say everything that's that was handled here perfectly, everything that needed to be handled well and would have ruined the entire show as a whole if it had even one little chink in the chain would have all been ABC. ABC, yeah. you would never have gotten a season two or a three of Jessica Jones if ABC handled the first uh, season. And like I said, you had callers about Luke and Jessica on Netflix. On Netflix. Could you imagine oh, if this was on a national channel? channel? Oh, oh my God! Golly. If the old, if the older racists would have been able to see that, hey, oh, I, I like your show. It's a great show. Sometimes I'm a little bit disturbed when the black man kisses the woman. I'm just saying. It's a I don't think. Bit. I don't think the white woman seems very. You know, she doesn't look like she's his type. <laughs> but I'm just oh my, saying. No, no. <laughs> There's some natural laws that you guys are unabiding. But, oh my god, natural laws. <laughs> natural laws. Speaking of a natural, let's talk about Rachel Taylor as Patricia Trish Walker. I okay. I think she uh, is um, amazing. She was amazing in all three seasons. Season three, the best, because she has a much bigger role in season can three. Can I be honest with you? She's the heart of the show. She's Whoa. you take No, she's one hundred percent the heart of the show. Would you call her like the Foggy Nelson of the show? Now we're we're going by see only season one. I'm not gonna go by season two and season three because honestly I haven't seen. Much I would of it. suggest I going like back to watch season three if you like, um, Trish. I will. I'm definitely gonna. This is definitely gonna be a show I'm gonna continue because I just love comic book shows. But as far as season one goes, she was she was very much like, if we're gonna compare, yeah, I guess the Foggy Nelson, the Felicia, the Felicity, the okay. Felicity of it all. Like she yeah. was. She she had ties to so many characters, and she had her own problems, her own heartaches, and her own trauma that she was literally putting on the back burner for her sister. Not even they, they, they do even have, they like do have a they deep commitment sisters. there. There is a deep commitment there, and we see that at several points, Jessica was the savior for Trish in their childhood. You know, and that 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 still and now stands. you have Trish as the savior. It still stands, but. In a lot of emotional and mental ways that truly matters between friends, Trish really is the emotional, mental savior for Jess. Yeah, but yeah, Jessica has all the power, but she she doesn't. She's not as nearly as mentally strong as Trish is. But there's something mental going on between these sisters because Trish feels, and this this uh, sentiment gets exacerbated as the series continues. But Trish feels that. I, there's the only way to say it that with great power comes great responsibility and she basically says that you know and she Trish did. Trish looks at Jessica as somebody who has that power and thus should be constantly answering the call of responsibility in this Toward series even she even says it yeah and she needs to that if she had powers she would be a hero 100% Trish wouldn't even would even look twice if she had powers she would go out and save the world right and so when you have this former model, former child star, former, you know, well, no, 
a, a radio show talk show host. You know, now um, she yep, now she's a podcaster just like us. <laughs> um you know, and she looks at Jessica in this way. There's a love of sisterly love there, but there's also purpose. Like he she wants Jessica to do to be something. In the first episode, they talk about this idea of like I'm I can't and I'm not the hero you think I'm I am. Like you think that because you get these powers, something a, a light switch turns on and you just become a great person who does great things. That's not me. And um, that's also great writing for it's honest. superheroes in general. Yeah, it's honest. It's um, I, it's a bold claim, but I think it's something boys didn't not couldn't but didn't talk about. And we deal with Jessica Jones, who has a very real trauma uh, that is brought, in my opinion, to the forefront. Um, the allegations of rape that we'll talk about in a bit and all of the toxic um, nature of her entire relationship with Kilgrave. But um, Patsy, Trish, uh, has that toxic relationship with her mother. And we are constantly talking about the effects parents have on us, that the, the um, latent effects, things that we don't even consider at the time, right? Uh, things, the seeds that get planted, whether they're seeds of positivity or seeds of toxicity, um, parents have that effect on their children. And we saw that Dorothy Walker has an effect on Trish it, in a way that she won't even accept her presence at the hospital. That's that's pretty big, right? Oh, 100%. Yeah, to not even want to see your mother. At the hospital? <laughs> it's, it's, it's a big thing. Let's talk about Will Traval as Will Simpson. A New York City, uh, uh, <laughs> Captain America. A New York City police officer and former veteran who, due to an encounter with Kilgrave, became obsessed with tracking down and killing him, teaming with uh, Jessica Jones and Trish to in order to complete this goal. However, when Simpson began to believe that Jessica's methods were ineffective, he returned back to the military program that he left years before in order to obtain some more of their combat enhancers, which would increase his strength while also returning him into a returning him into a crazed murderer so will uh i think we while talking about mr simpson we should just wrap his whole thing up um nuke is a character in the comics um a super soldier who tattoos the american flag on his face and takes these red white and blue pills that up and down his adrenaline uh so that he's able to do combat without taking you know too much uh damage or hesitation um and that character is being realized here. We call him the bootleg Captain America, but he has stylistically chosen everything from his uh, hair to his um, wardrobe is chosen so that it can invoke that feeling. And when you first watch the series, he just seems like a very determined do-gooder. If you know where he's going to go, everything he does is a bit fishy the second time around. <laughs> he's just way too ready if you will do you get what i'm saying like he's just way no, too amped, ha- amped to uh kill <laughs> at various points he's like i would have killed kilgrave if jessica jones wasn't there it's like relax bro we're all trying to kill kilgrave bro he, he <laughs> bro all right i get wanting to be you know do the right thing but i think there's a a, a fine line with doing the right thing my man bro okay when he, totally we talking about, when he shot Clemens. <laughs> oh, can I, I, I didn't know if we were going spoiler or not. We're we full spoilers because I'm full Jack Daniels, Tennessee, honey. Uh, 
we we're going full spoilers. Bro, he shot Clint. He shot Clint. And I that's a, there, there's a scene. What? I think that was in the trailer, but you you can't really see his face when he's walking away from the fire in the lab. Um, man, that got me. That got me upset. Got me mad because we're already dealing with I Kilgrave. I was so mad. We're already dealing with Kilgrave, and it's like you're just making things worse because you're just some guy hopped up on pills given to you by the government that ruins everything, and all that culminates in basically a fight with him and Patsy, where Patsy takes one of the pills. When he doesn't, when she doesn't have the blue to calm, come down, she kind of kicks his ass, right? Um, Son, I was, I was, I was getting feel. I was literally getting tensions that I haven't gotten that I don't get unless I'm watching like Fargo or Breaking Bad or you know, Leftover and stuff like that. Whole time that they were in that chamber thing together, I, I, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what to think. I totally forgot everything. I love. Dude, I think the dumbest people on this them. show were was probably the twins. But I love that um, when it came to Will, there was a certain point where he's asking like very pointed questions, and Trish is like, "Those kind of questions make me not want to trust you." Like you're asking very specific questions about Jessica and Gilgrave and where people are and all this other kind of stuff. I don't, I don't really trust you right now. And he becomes this like rage machine. Go back, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Like I said, Nuke is in the comics, most notably. Uh, in Daredevil Born Again, which we covered here uh, on this podcast. And it's crazy. In Daredevil Born Again, he's there and Kingpin is giving him the speech. And he's giving him a speech very similar to the one he gave Bullseye. About like, our men are dying overseas and no one cares. You're one of the last ones that care about the dignity of this country. It's up to you to bring our sons home. Stuff like that. And you think about that guy getting that pep talk. Madness, out of control. What do you think of Will Travall as Will Simpson? He was, uh, I totally forgot a lot of. I like, I remembered him, and when I when we first when I first saw him, I'm like, oh yeah, you're the you're Trisha's boyfriendish thing. But a lot of the decisions that this character was making, I'm just sitting here like, dude, dude, are you trying to do the right thing? Or are you trying to scare everybody away from helping you try to do the right thing? Like, what are you doing? Right. Like, but the acting was phenomenal. But once again, it's the it's the Anthony Starr of it all for me. That goddamn jaw just kills me. <laughs> and they have very similar Bro, hair. I think, <laughs> I, I think I think it was uh, the CGI Superman mustache that just ruined the way that certain jawline looks. Because <laughs> no, when I, I look at that. like Anthony Starr at Homelander, when I look at Will Simpson, I'm just like, yo, is your jaw CGI'd? And we spoke like, We spoke off air. You said you got through the first four episodes of Jessica Jones, so you know the fate of Mr. Simpson. Oh, yes, definitely. Sadly. Because in my opinion, you should have brought Will Simpson in for Falcon and Winter Soldier. Oh, my God. You know what I'm saying? Wow. You know what I'm doing? You know what I'm saying? What I'm talking about? Mm. Get it. Anyway. <laughs> Listen. Star light, <laughs> star bright. First star I see today. Because... <laughs> Who would have thought we done covered the boys, but we still got a little bit of starlight here. Aaron Moriarty plays Hope Slotman. Were you surprised when you went back and realized that our girl was uh, playing? Was it Starlight? Oh, my God. Joe. The, the, you know what it was? It, was, it wasn't even seeing her. It was, You know me. I love opening themes. We'll never skip an opening theme. Unless the opening theme is boring or bad or, like, I, I have things to do and I just – I can't take the time to just watch a two-minute, you know, thing. But nine out of ten times, I'm 
always going to watch an opening animation. Right. Always. Mm -hmm. So I'm watching the opening animation for episode one, and all of a sudden I see the name Aaron Moriarty. And I'm like, oh, shit, wait a minute. First of all, that might be the greatest last name in the history of last names. Oh, Moriarty is just... I actually had... That was my doc. That was actually my pediatrician growing up. Swear to God. Which is from... from, uh, that's the arch nemesis of Sherlock Holmes. Of, yep. Yes, it is. Moriarty. But Hope Moriarty is a girl from Omaha who was uh, Kilgraved. I love that. Dude, that's is this the second time that she played a character from Omaha? Is she from Omaha in, in Des Moines? No, sorry, sorry. No, 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 no. Sorry. She was from Des Moines. Okay. Des Moines, yeah, she was, she was, Iowa? Yeah. The, what? Yeah. She was from Where Des Moines, is Iowa. Omaha? Nebraska. Nebraska. Yeah, yeah, that's where my boy Gil well, is. At basically, right now. the same thing, though. My boy Gil <laughs> is over there at Cinnabon. So if you go over there in Nebraska, <laughs> tell my yes. boy. I said, "How is it in Belize?" You understand? Oh, he. <laughs> so <laughs> nah, that's for wow. That's foul. That's pretty good, right? Uh, so <laughs> um, Hope done killed her own parents <laughs> under his command, sentenced to two life sentences because of both parents. Jessica Jones tried to prove her innocence by capturing Kilgrave and forcing him to either confess or expose his powers in order to free Slotman. Knowing that Jones would always refrain from ending Kilgrave's life so long as she was alive, Slotman took her own life, begging Jones with her last words words to put it into Kilgrave. Um I think Moriarty definitely sold the terror. At one point, Kilgrave uh is on the same line as her when they both in the Patsy oh sorry, the Trish Walker show. And the pure horror that she felt when hearing his voice again killed it. Uh the pilot, which we we will talk about, just the pilot, because I think the pilot sets up so much for all of this. Um, oh, 100%. I feel like, you know, her, that whole, like, get out of bed. I oh, I know, he told you you couldn't leave, right? Like, all of that perfectly sets up what we think no, of well, well, For me, what it was was when she went to the restaurant, and she knew everything before the guy even got a chance to say it. Yeah. But, like, she, like she, the way her face was that she knew what he was, not even that she said what before he was going to say it, that the fact that she knew what he was going to say and said it anyways, right. where he was going to say that he wanted a, she, he wanted a booth table. It's like, yes. And he ordered, he ordered a this and this and that. And he went, yep. Yeah. It was, it was the way they set up Kilgrave. I don't even think you see him for like two episodes. But that's very similar to how they set up Wilson Fisk, right? Yeah. Um, they created these, these monsters in the shadows. Uh, that can but see it, and it was a mere ex- and it was the organic exposition of it all. The organic exposition of it all that when you finally meet um Kilgrave, you never even see his face, you just literally see his back, hear his voice, and you see his powers, and you understand everything that Jessica was afraid of. Yeah. Totally. Cause you see with what with how much ease he's able to get what he wants. It, God, and he was so not just menacing. It's not about being menacing. It's being legit, heartlessly evil. He locked two kids Callous. in the closet. Just, just no, just no remorse. And they and play the around. He doesn't even think about anybody he kills. He never thought of. He said to himself, "I don't think about anybody that I've ever killed." I'm I'm coming to this conclusion here, and I'm I'm pretty sure we'll come to various conclusions. Uh, you know, while we while we talk about this, but you know, Kilgrave. Um, in many ways and in many forms of conversation he has with Jessica becomes this sort of 
rapist apologist. Like all of his all of his reasoning for why he thought he had free reign over this woman is what you would hear some frat guy saying about some girl he got too drunk and raped. And, well, I mean, she, she liked all the, uh, the, the restaurants we went to. And she, she, I bought her fancy dresses. And we'll talk about all the, the um, gaslighting. But in the same sense as Jessica, they try to make Kilgrave a uh, nature-nurture kind of guy. They bring you to his childhood and let you see it and ask you, even with the added information that you get now as to how he was raised, how do you feel about him now? Is there can still you even still sympathize no with him after meeting his parents? Right. But after meeting his parents, I still could. All right. I guess. In, <clears throat> all right. I mean, <laughs> fear. My man fear Dan never big... wants to make a wrong statement on this show. He's very just, careful just, with the words that he chooses, and that's why he is one of the most frequent co-hosts of this show. Continue. It, I, because I have to make, I truly have to make sure that I'm that I'm not taking not only just a definitive stance, but that, I, that 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 people don't understand that I'm trying to see both sides of every angle to make my you know opinion to give my opinion, not right. fact, mm-hmm. opinion of to give my mere opinion. So fear does things to people. Fear makes. A modern-day mundane man create the biggest meth empire in the Southwest. Mm-hmm. Like you know, fear does things to people. So when you have two scientists who have taken the stance that they don't believe in God, that you know they believe in science and man doing something to improve on nature, and when they have you, a son with an inoperable brain, in, you know, situation. literally an inoperable brain tumor, and their idea is we we are brain chemist science like that's our bread and butter we take chemical you know fluids of one brain fluids of another and splice together a cure so i understand what their fear of losing their only son and the mental state that it would have given them because you know you you can never truly understand how it feels to lose a kid Mm -hmm. especially in in early stages of life this is why i'm very very like you know sympathetic towards Zack snyder because I will never understand what it feels like to lose a daughter when she's not even 30. Right. So, but I can also understand why Kilgrave felt that his parents more or so feared him than loved him. But you can't expect someone to, you, you literally have the power to, you have to literally watch your words and you can see what that can do to somebody where they have to like literally walk on eggshells their entire, after a while, Someone's gonna someone's gonna get tired of having to walk on eggshells. Not only that, but I feel like with with Kilgrave, it's this situation. I mean, he. I think the most sympathetic thing that he says is, "I can't tell whether or not people are doing things because they want to or because I." Said and exactly, and he, he even there's even a line of dialogue where he's like, "I literally told a man to go screw himself once." You can imagine how that turned out. Like, like but the it, thing it's is, just you you there there is sympathy for the man who can't seem but to make the wrong choices. But there's even more sympathy for the man who doesn't seem to even have a choice in the matter. And when it comes to that, we got to talk about Ika Darville, a.k.a. You Malcolm You already Dukas. know, Malcolm. I'm, oh, my God, bro. I, 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 dude, Kilgrave literally turned this dude into a heroin addict. Did you see him clean up in season two? Oh. Yeah, he's I, a G. I, I, like, he's, he, like... <laughs> it's, no, it's night no, and day no. Malcolm sober he was, Malcolm he was a, 
which was Malcolm before Kilgrave, is is a G. <laughs> he was a G. He was a G when he fucking when Jessica like you know uh, when made him go through the withdrawal and and help him recover and do the rehab stuff because there was a line of dialogue where, where um he was telling Jessica what he wanted to be with his life and he wanted to be a social worker. Yeah, he's seen how his how his parents were because his parents were social workers. Your parents, his parents were people of the church. They prayed for people with sickness to get better. They donated. They did things for the community. That was Malcolm's life growing up. And when he finally got away from Kilgrave, he became not only did he become the coolest social worker ever that I would have loved to have had growing up, but he managed to 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 be the runner of a Kilgrave support group. And he still his he, damn hardest. He still chooses to stand by Jessica. I know they have a bit of a spat. I think in the second to last or uh, the last episode. But he in has a, no, a in the last level episode, of, he was going of loyalty home. towards her. He wanted to go home, but then he couldn't. It was the whole when uh, Luke Cage was recovering from the shotgun blast. By the way, like he was my favorite part of season one that I completely forgot is all the Malcolm and Luke interactions. <laughs> like at one point, Luke comes to the thing, and Malcolm's like, "Hey, she don't want none. Of the, <laughs> she don't want none. No company or whatever." And Luke's like, "What's this about?" And he's, he's like, "Don't don't worry about it." <laughs> And then when they see each other on the street, Malcolm's like, so what you doing over here? He's like, are you, like, do you have an issue with me being over here? He's like, I'm just having an issue with anybody just trying to walk up on Jessica. And I'm like. Bro, he, nah, he is 100% loyal. And what I love about the loyalty is the loyalty wasn't out of a, out of crush and affection and feeling. That would have been the a loyalty. little cliche, right? Don't tell me not a lesser filmmaker, a lesser showrunner would have made it cliche. Would have made it felt so cliche, but the fact that it was never about he has a crush on her, and it was more so of that he was just trying to do the right thing and protect her was what made Malcolm one of the greatest side characters. Probably, I don't count. I don't count people like Patsy Walker as a side character. I feel she's. I know she's the words there? main cat. Yeah, but I know the words main character is usually like um for like uh the the lead actress and lead actor, but I feel like main character could be. A set of people. Kilgrave's a main character. Luke, not Luke Cage, not a main character, but like you know, you know what I mean. Patsy right. Walker has been. In, she's been in every episode, a lot of scenes, and most episodes she has like half of the screen time with Jessica. So yeah. she's definitely a main character. But all this to say, Malcolm is probably my favorite side character. He is so bad as an addict. Like his life is so bad as an addict. That he almost all of his actions are excused as actions of a man who has an addiction, right? That's a lot of how he's able to get the pictures for your kill grave that he's able to because Jessica Jones sees him as no threat. He's just a guy who, yeah, will pass out in an elevator or, yeah, will forget how to open his own door. He's so cracked out or whatever drug that he's on that he becomes almost ineffective, but... In his ineffectiveness is the most effective because he's able to get Kilgrave the pictures that he wants. And once Malcolm makes the choice to become sober, we see a completely different person. A person that's entirely empathetic. A person that's incredibly loyal. Uh, a person that when push comes to shove... He's, he's genuinely a smart person. And honest. You know, oh, he, yeah. he, he kind of tells Jessica what it is. In the second to last episode, because, and, and then even well, in the last episode, he's like, "I'm going to answer your phones. Like, what are you, you going to do if I answer your phones?" Um, 
it, was even telling the other boys that the boys actress that you know like when she was talking about like uh, atheism and not believing in faith and oh, Kobe, nobody's good and not doing who plays the uh, sister neighbor. This is three boys actresses, not act- but straight up just actresses. This is three boys actresses that were in this first season with the uh, the deep therapist from season two, mm-hmm. Ashley and Starlight. Yeah, all in the first season. Yep, hundred percent. In a sense, they all shared the same episode too. Yeah, they didn't share the same screen, but literally, all three of those women were in the same episode. Yeah, hundred percent. Ninety nine friends. Ninety nine friends, and. And a bitch ain't one. We sitting here. We had a good time talking about um, Kristen Ritter as a powerful female character. But in the late 90s, we were introduced to another powerful female character. Then her Uh-oh. name was Trinity. Oh, we are going there. And her, that woman was played by uh, a extremely Harry, amazing uh, actress played. Um, named Carrie Ann Moss, who also did a killer turn in Memento. I don't know if you've seen her in Memento. Oh, of co- what Guy Pearce? She crazy? is basically Jerry Hogarth in a Memento. <laughs> uh, but yeah, a no nonsense, resourceful lawyer who started her own legal career as an intern. She's like a successful a ambulance chaser. She's like the female but, better called Saul. So pragmatic, so ruthless. Oh, one hundred. So pragmatic. professional yeah. and like. There, there's a, there's a level of dirt that she's willing to get into, and it gets worse as the series progresses. Uh, I think that one of the most shadiest things that she did was when Hope Schlotman was on. Trip oh, Talk. Trish, yeah, and she was like, she's crazy. <laughs> she don't oh, know yeah, what she's talking about, because, and it was all just so that Patsy could stance. defend her. Yeah, because she personally couldn't publicly take a stance that she believes her client. <laughs> so she had to have Pat, not only Patsy defender, but she used it as a ploy to get other people that have encountered Kilgrave to come out. Right. That was what that whole interview on Trish, Talk, on Trish Talks ended up doing. That's how the Kilgrave support group ends up becoming to be. Yeah, because they out that whole she situation. Because she couldn't take a public stance in believing superpowers because of her that her image and right. oh my god she is great um the character in the comics is a man uh they they gender flipped Jerry Hogarth this. is um is a man it's yeah it's just Jerry R R Y it's just Jerry just Jerry Hogarth J E oh so it's spelled but it's still spelled the same yeah well J-E-R-R-Y. no i think it's spelled with a y like, no in the, in the show it's J E R R I no but i'm saying in the comics when she's when he's a oh, guy oh in the comics Jerry. oh Jerry uh, Jerry Hogarth. Jerry Terry Larry? 100%. And so, uh, Jerry is the first lesbian character in the MCU. And we find that out pretty freaking quick when the series starts, but we'll get there when we That's get there. That's actually pretty funny that that would be the first openly gay the character. Next would in the be MCU. probably Carolina Dean? Maybe? Well, hey, but we, oh, yeah, because Netflix was a show. But was Netflix part of. No, I'm sorry. Was Runaways part Ooh, of? I think it's supposed Disney's... to be part of the MCU, to my knowledge. Like it's it, it, they, they, it's a it's in Disney's Marvel. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So then, so then, yeah, Carolina Dean would be the second live action openly gay superhero. But we are here in the main event. Is there a doctor in the house? In the house, David Tennant. <laughs> Shows up in this show as Kilgrave. 
this is where I this was my introduction to David Tennant. So it was my introduction as well. I, I was told that some of the most prolific actors that I've liked in the past decade have spent some time in the Doctor Who averse. But I will be remiss to tell you all that I have almost no knowledge of what goes on in the in the itty bitty timey wimey averse. I only It's alright, ladies and gentlemen, because you know, a certain little uh character named Pastor Matt Oh. He's in the first season as Doctor, so this there's definitely a way to get this man involved in Doctor I, Who. All he needs around. is Matt. Maybe, maybe that'll it's be a, a Patreon Matt, thing. Matt if you guys world. want us to cover Doctor Who, uh, message in. Let us know. Um, in the comics, the character Kilgrave is known as the Purple Man, as he possesses yeah, actual right. purple he skin. He's called the Purple Man. Yeah, yeah he possesses actual oh, purple skin as a result yes, of a chemical accident. Looked. A chemical accident that granted him his mind control powers. Though this feature and his origin are altered on the show, his character is still represented by the color purple, with it appearing in his choice of clothes. And he has the ability to compel you to do whatever he says, so long as you can hear the command from him directly and you are in close proximity. In the series, Kilgrave yeah, is I think it's like, yeah, I think it's a hundred foot, a hundred, was a hundred yards? And twelve hours. Yards? And twelve hours? Yeah. In the series, Kilgrave is the name Kevin Thompson, a child who has been. Uh, under a bunch of different medical procedures to uh, remove an inoperable brain tumor, he takes the name Kilgrave after emancipating himself from his parents. You know, because Murder Corpse was just... And Snuff Carcass was also unavailable. Let's talk about this pilot. You ready? Let's do it. The show starts off with Jessica having been freed from Kilgrave's control for a few months and she works as a PI in the streets of New York with her own company, Alias Investigations, a firm she runs by herself. She gets referrals for jobs from a high-powered lawyer friend of hers named Jerry Hogarth and lives in an apartment with annoying upstairs neighbors and a drug addict named Malcolm down the hall. When a couple hires her to find their daughter Hope, Jessica's investigation uncovers that Hope has spent money on suits and... On uh, oh sorry, on suits for some mysterious man. Digging deeper, she finds that Hope was seen at a restaurant Kilgrave once took Jessica, and then when she puts two and two together and assumes Kilgrave has Hope, she gets that confirmation. She talks to the parents, and the parents say they were hired by a British man. She runs to her sister Trish Walker and asks to borrow some money to flee the country. Trish states that she needs to help Hope. If Hope is in trouble, but Jessica responds by saying she was never the hero Trish wanted her to be. Jessica investigates one of the hotels that Kilgrave took her, hoping to find Hope, and she does. Hope refuses to leave the bed, having been instructed by Kilgrave to not move, but Jessica takes her to her apartment and calls her parents to take her home. As Hope and her parents enter an elevator to go back home, Hope smiles a sadistic smile and pulls out a gun, shooting her parents dead and asking Jones to smile. Suddenly, her sadistic oh, her face changes and she crumples to the ground, grieving for her parents. Jessica, uh, realizing Kilgrave is back, almost flees the country, but remembers her sister's words and decides to stay. And not only does she remember her sister's words, but words that she spoke earlier in the episode Echo. She talks about being a PI and that she often is being hired to find a cheating spouse or a cheating partner. And she says that when she finds this evidence, the evidence that she is hired to find, people uh, have one of two reactions. 
to the actual truth that they're being cheated on. Knowing it's real, she says, they've got to make a decision. One, do something about it. Or two, keep denying it, shoot the messenger, tell me I'm getting off on ruining their shitty lives. Option two rarely pans out. In this instance, she has a choice. She knows Kilgrave is back. There's no doubt about it. So she can keep denying it, get mad at who told her it, and just disappear off the face of the earth. Or she can go back to option one and do something about it. She chooses to do something about it, and she stays in New York City to battle Kilgrave. What do you think about that pilot? And what do you think about uh, the introduction to the series? It was great setting up a noir thing. <laughs> like, like, like the, the tone of the comics is very noir. And this, the, the score alone, the soundtrack alone, is very trumpety. And As a matter of fact, I was going to ask you, is she the only Marvel Netflix character to get exposition? Like, 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 a, like a, in a, head, a, in her monologue? Yeah. Yes, yes. Okay. Which is very I noir. The first comic book character. I, I still think she's the first comic book character in a while to get... I don't remember the last comic book character that who literally inner monologued everything. Right. I don't think I've ever seen a, char- a comic book character do that. And, and and you know what's so funny is if it works here, which it does, because it feels like we're listening to her inner thoughts, why can't we do that in Batman? Because as you question. say, the inner monologues is what what really sells the character for you in the comics. It really helps you understand the Dark Knight more in the comics if you get that inner monologue. It worked here with Jessica Jones, in a, but it also, I guess, because of the theme that they were going for is why it worked. Only she, only she knows her trauma, and only she knows how bad Kilgrave affected her. So we had to hear it from her. We had to hear her inner thoughts, her inner monologue. I think that was incredibly important. Let's talk about... Uh, my, uh, we're going to go on some arcs. Let's talk about some arcs. All right, let's go, let's go some arc routes. Let's talk about Luke Cage and the mysterious death of Reva Connor. Jessica is seen spying on Luke in the pilot. And when she's seen looking inside Luke's bar, he invites her in for a drink. Jones has a few drinks and the two flirt, which lead to a night of lovemaking at Luke's. Jessica leaves after seeing a picture of Cage's deceased wife in the bathroom mirror. But we are clued in onto why that's an issue. Honestly, when I first saw it, I thought she was tight that he had a girlfriend. And I was like, yeah, that, that, you know, could you imagine meeting a girl at a bar, having a great time, that going back to her apartment, and then you guys have a night, and then you go to her bathroom, and there's a picture of a guy in the mirror. You'd be like, oh, wow, I guess, huh. And so that's what I thought all it was, that she was tight, that, you know, he had a picture of another woman there. But there's way much, there's way more there. The two begin a fling that becomes complicated when cops tell Luke that Jessica has photos of him. Jessica chooses to lie and say she was hired by one of Luke's girlfriends to spy on him. But when that lie gets all the way back to one of Luke's girlfriends, it causes her man to try to attack Luke in his bar. And this is when we find out that Luke is almost indestructible. Racked with guilt over her involvement in Reva's death at the hands of Kilgrave, Jessica decides to break it off with Luke without telling him why. 
when word gets out that Luke has the name of the man he thinks is responsible for the death of his wife, he hunts him down, hoping to get revenge, but Jessica steps in the way and confesses to killing Reva herself. What do you think about Jessica's confession, and what do you think about the overall relationship of Power Man and Power Woman in this series? Um, it's definitely something new. Right. It's not something you see all the time, like uh, an already known and established couple in the comics not fully being a couple in their first live action adaptation because right. it's in, in the same breath this is the 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 first appearance of the power couple we didn't have a luke cage season one so this was our first live action luke cage and jessica jones together so yeah it was kind of like i guess weird not seeing them as an already established couple but the way that this show set up jessica jones as a character she doesn't need to have a couple. Like, I don't see her as someone that's... I, she. It, it works better where she's single. Because if she's with Luke Cage as like an established relationship while going through all of this trauma and pain and emotion with Kilgrave, it, hasn't she already moved on? Yeah. But if, she, but if she's not in a fully established relationship with Luke Cage, and this is just some sexual hookup fling... To me, it, it, it's telling me that this character is trying to see if she can have a normal life again while still fighting the demons of her past life. But, but even this idea, right, that she could have a normal life with Luke is Im- omitting the fact that she killed Luke's wife, right? <laughs> like That's a very yeah, big, no, yeah. contentious uh, reason you might argue at the dinner table. And she comes clean. She doesn't have to. She was killgraved, but she comes clean and she owns up to that. Um, uh, at one point, she says that she recognized that same look in Will in in Will Simpson's face, the look of just overall like uh, I don't know, I don't, I don't know what just happened. No, you're good. Uh, I, she she sees she sees the same look in Will Simpson's face that she sees in her own self, which is that Luke. I mean, sorry, that Will Simpson feels ashamed. That's one of the things that the whole altercation with Kilgrave brings out of Jessica. There's a lot of shame. There's a lot of guilt, as there is with any traumatic event, especially one that deals with a relationship. Um, as somebody who's kind of sort of going something, through something similar, you, you there is, there's a level of shame there because there's a level of, of cognitive dissonance that you have. Now that everything has happened, you look back at some of the events you've been through, and I'm sure you've done the same, and you go, how the hell did I end up there? Which is great writing, and great, uh, truly it's great, the other yeah, writing is a lot, but, you know, the writing would be nothing without visual storytelling when you're literally making a movie or show. Yeah. Anybody can write a novel, and just by the, 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 the narrator's third person or the way the writer uses that th- the third person, you can put the imagination yourself. If you read his eyes were, 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 were um, wide open, his mouth was grinding and his forehead was profusely covered. Like, you know, the person's nervous, right? But you need to see that nervousness. So it was perfect. The way Will Simpson's face was where then you see Jessica noticing, wait a minute, He's that's not a cop coming back. To, yeah, like, like that's not a cop to coming back to finish the job. That's a cop coming back to see if he really did what he did without his own control. 
So that whole scene where he's like trying to find out if Patsy Walker is alive, and it's because and it's because he's scared of and, what he. But did. the thing is, what she recognized on his face was self hate. Right. Yeah. Like, 100%. could you imagine being that traumatized where you're like, "Oh no, that person is just uh, is just remorseful." I know because I see that face every day when I look in the mirror. That's like I know shit. what that I, I know what those eyes look like. I know what the grinding of that teeth signifies. Like she literally can see with the eyes. I recognize that look. She, I think she used the words. I recognize that look. No, that's it's the exactly same look. She I, says. Yeah, she's like, I recognize. I look at the same look I have. Like, and once you chick, recognize that look, it's over. The chicks had a hell of an upbringing. First of all, the pilot, like I said, was incredible, and also had our first depictions of PTSD since Iron Man three. Where she's sitting there and she can hear Kilgrave talking to her in her ear. She smashes the, the window of the subway. Um, and she could just hear it. Uh, come back here. Jessica, she thinks she's being like touched when she's not being touched. Like uh, that one scene, I think it was the pilot episode, where she's like sleeping drunk at her table. And she's having a nightmare of Kilgrave putting his hands on her neck. And she just like wakes up and throws the bottle or something like that. Like That's a constant state that she lives in. And the thing is, we talk often about trauma here and how it affects people. Um, when you cannot, when you cannot trust yourself to prevent trauma, you start to create all kinds of machinations uh, to protect yourself. And all the all it does, think about it. You cannot vet every single person who comes into your life. You when can't. somebody says, "Hey, how are you? Hey, you seem like a good guy. Can I buy you a drink?" If you're just turning with somebody at a bar, you cannot assess what that person is going to mean. And- you know, and you also can't assume 100%. that's also the thing. There's a there's a there's a line where you you can't have this omnipresent idea of who they're gonna be, but you also can't like you know think this person just looks like they're gonna be a piece of shit or this person right. looks like they're gonna give me the world. Like you know, you, you just have to take time to know a person. But, but in Jessica's world, if you can just great, characterize everybody else as pieces of shit, you stay protected, right? True. If you can just say they're all garbage, I'll just stay on the other side of that. I think that's but what happened. Also take, but you're also taking that like definitive stance that the world is bad and there is no right and wrong. The everybody's just wrong. The alternative to that, though, for people who have suffered trauma, is way more horrifying. No, I, I'm trusting me. I know. No, oh, and I no. and I know and I know you agree with me. Uh, I just wanted to. Oh yeah. Put that piece no, of truth yeah, out you, there. That you're 100 yeah, right on that. In yeah. My personal life, I like to gamble. I like to see what people's actual motives are i'd like to see what people's actual potential is i think that that's one of the most beautiful parts of humanity but i have been a, removed a couple of years from trauma had i been in my most traumatic state hell no i don't care about nobody i don't care about you know what I'm saying? like why take the gamble it's my uh peace of mind that i'm dealing with so why ever give anyone the benefit of the doubt I have to. It's part of the reason why people stay single. It's literally part of the reason why people who have been cheated on more than twice stay single. And that's like they don't want to take that gamble again. Even though Jessica doesn't have an out-and-out boyfriend in this, she does sleep with Luke a a, a number of times. But she's also slept with with many guys. Like in the dialogue, like ever since Kilgrave, she's spent her nights. It's become as much of a vice as everything else, right? Yeah, it's like right. sex. Sex is a vice for this character, this portrayal of Jessica Jones. And sex sad, is a vice. What's sad is it doesn't start that way. Like she's, you know, let's talk a little bit about her, up, her upbringing. She's the only daughter of Brian and Alyssa Jones. 
Uh, and she spent most of her time alone in her room and getting annoyed. You know, regular regular teenage girl teenage stuff. Teenage angst, yeah. 100%. Um, although her younger brother, Philip, would sometimes annoy her, Jessica was incredibly protective of him, whom she described as a great kid. Tragically, Jessica became an orphan when she lost her parents and her brother in a car accident, uh, which she inadvertently caused, tainting her with grief and regret uh, for years to come. Which is why I didn't give it a pass in Dark Phoenix. Jones. Also, yo, yo, I was. Why did you take that away from me? Because I was just Sorry. gonna bring up that. I didn't, how did this I, I didn't end up take your power, bro. Never. No, it's okay. It's just it's so funny that thinking back on a lot of a lot of comic book origins or just origins in general that start this way, Jessica Jones was the one to handle it most organically. Yeah. Because it was thing. a simple fight. Look away for a second. Truck right there, you know, truck right there. I think, you know? I think my uh, appreciation of this first season is that her methods of dealing with trauma, while not healthy, are extremely realistic. Oh, no, it's it, it's very much like this. There is no holds barred is, on the realism. Is there of this. a portion, an episode, a snippet of this woman drinking water? Nope. You see what I'm talking about? She does she doesn't even eat in the show. Oh my god, you're right. No, I think Yo, she eats me, with. Does she eat, eat with Luke? They go to some rem- sort of place. <laughs> I don't know if she I eats. Don't but she's ever rem- I don't ever remember seeing her mouth go up and down to chew. Right. I literally don't. I, oh, I just banana can't. bread. Oh, the one the one scene with the banana bread. But then again, you know, Travis Bickle did eat. Bread and whiskey as as That's cereal, hilarious. and he was so crazy. That. That's hilarious, madness. <laughs> oh, bread! Of... He literally ate bread and whiskey. Hey, listen, <laughs> hey, proud boys, do not drink, do not eat bread and whiskey, uh, uh, cinnamon toast crunch cereal. It's not gonna help anybody. It's not gonna help the president. It, just don't do it. So what is it? Stand by and stand back. Stand, stand by and stand, standing by and standing back. All, all of that. Uh, after the car crash, Jessica Jones learns her family are all dead. While recovering in the hospital where she has fallen into a coma, she was adopted by Dorothy Walker as a publicity stunt to remote Trish Walker's television show. As Jones began to wake up from her coma while lying in her bed, she overheard the Walkers discussing the death of her parents. How callous was that? Even Trish. Trish was like, ugh. Like we're getting, she was over having adopting a charity case at the time, at least. And Dorothy, this was all a political ploy. If Patsy, you know, uh, adopts a wayward soul, somebody who has no family, all of a sudden we can forgo all the trouble that Patsy was dealing with at that time, including being pumped full of drugs by her own mother. Tragic. Uh, yeah, imagine adopting somebody just because it'll help your ratings. And like, not only that, like... but you hear them say that while you're in the hospital. You can hear them say, ugh, <laughs> ugh I guess we'll just, let's just get this over with. You know, I, she doesn't even know her whole family's dead. You know, she hears that and sheds a tear. It's, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking stuff. No, it, it, and that's something you don't say at someone's bedside. But you... But the the inclination that you shouldn't say that, I don't think they have that. That feeling, ugh, I shouldn't say that. I don't think they have that. Not at all. And Jen, um, Trish has such a weird, you know, ups and downs relationship with her mom, because your mom's your mom, right? Like, you you have that yeah. inherent love with her, 
and have that inherent mm-hmm. trust whether or not you should that's a whole other you cannot story. like them you cannot talk to them but you know you're going to cry when they die 100 percent. so um even when it comes full circle when trish is hospitalized dorothy shows up and dorothy tries to become the uh the mom again yeah but I think it was what was it? it was the conversation that they like near the end of season one where it turns out that she's still very much, you know, callous. Yeah. And uh, the worst part about about I think Mrs. all the Trish's that, all the Trish's responses were pretty awesome. <laughs> oh, one hundred percent. She was putting her on her ass with that. My problem with with, with with Mrs. Walker is that she is like unconsciously callous. Yeah. She's like, but, and not only that is, there was this line of, there was the line of dialogue when she was in the hospital, when her daughter was telling her to leave. And she literally said, I'm going to go yell at a nurse mm-hmm. to make myself feel better on yep. the way out. I she's said, a Karen. She's, bro, a, she's, a, she's a career Karen. Bro, she literally said, I'm going to go yell at a nurse to make myself feel better. I paused the video and put my hands on my forehead. No, I'm just, I had to process that, what I just heard. I'm right. like, holy Jesus, bro. Out of control. That, dude, that was – that was just, she's relentless. I love the relent. There are so many un, like unconsciously callous people in this season. I, and I think that the, the reason why it works is because it, it's in New York. Which is like, <laughs> this is like an incredibly callous place as it is. I I've been yeah, like, here my whole life for the most part, and so I'm not saying it. As listen, it we're is. the only place. We are the only place in the world that when a handicapped person gets on a bus, the entire bus sucks their teeth in unison. Not only that, and not to bring it too close, we are in a place where there are millions of people in in a concentrated little slip of an island, and you can still feel incredibly. And completely alone. That's where we're Terrible. at. New York City. That is where we're at. But let's talk about Jessica's time with Kilgrave. Let's talk about the beginning and ends. Because this is what the main event is, right? How how they got together. How they got apart. Oh, we're here. We're at, the, we're, at the, we're at the main event now? We're at the main event. So. Nice. Let's do it. Uh, well, while walking one day, Jessica Jones comes across Malcolm Ducasse. About to be killed by muggers, whom she quickly overpowers in order to save him. This action, is which is fun. okay, that okay. I'm gonna be honest. Right. That was the that was me. My only time that I was a little upset with the show, where I'm like, "Yo, New too York convenient? is it 100 percent too convenient?" Well, Sorry, that's the second to, time. You've been to Broadway Junction. You'll bump into somebody eventually. No, all right. Here's a funny story. Me and Kevin, you know, Kevin. Me and Kevin, we're mm-hmm. hanging. We're hanging out one night at like three o'clock in the morning. And we ran into Justin from, um, what's it called? Uh, the cult. Cult member Justin. The yeah. most random thing ever. Just me and Kevin were literally just walking around and hanging out. And we ran into uh, Jay Storm. <laughs> so, yeah, I understand that, you know. Small world. It, it, it is a small world. I just felt that the first time that she meets Malcolm and Kilgrave was at that point, And then Malcolm ends up becoming her roommate and i'm a a neighbor slash spy on like there was just too many convenient points at that point i was just like maybe i don't know the only reason why i buy it is the the only reason why i would buy that malcolm would be used as a ploy like a a spy is because kilgrave would have remembered that guy as being the guy that jessica saved when he met her because i think i think not only that but 
but our complete disdain for the homeless, right? Like, yes, our yes, complete, yes, yes. like, oh, they're just gonna do crazy shit. Had Jessica paid any attention to any of Malcolm's comings and goings, she would have known that Malcolm was the one hired by Cograve to take pictures of her. But it never crossed her mind because he's he's a druggie. And druggies just do weird shit when they want to do weird shit. But the thing was, he wasn't even a druggie homeless dude. Not not when, when he had, not when him. she attacked him. I mean, I mean, sorry, not when she saved him. And she, no, he she says, like, him. you he can't keep saving dude. me. Yeah, like, he was a normal, regular dude. He was probably new to New York, you know, looking for directions, and people just attacked him. Right. And it was Kilgrave that, oh, my God, I still, it still he, leaves. He looks at Jessica Jones in this moment like a new puppy. He sees her like and he's like, toy. wow, yeah. oh, my God, Powers, come over here. He's like, your skin, your hair, I mean, your fashion sense we can work with. But we'll, we'll, this is, I like all of this. I want to, I want to be in all of this. And all of a sudden, she, he invites her for dinner the next few months. He keeps her as a prisoner, constantly using his powers to force her to spend time and have sex with him, which she always kind of sort of knew was rape, despite believing that Kilgrave is in a, you, Kilgrave legit thought that this woman was in love with him. So could you imagine consciously knowing you're being raped without any inability to physically stop it? Knowing you have superpowers to kill this person. Out of control. Madness. And the best part about it is the way that Melissa Rosenberg, I'm never, as long as we cover this show, I'm never going to stop praising this woman. The way she handled Kilgrave's own revisionist history little thing where he's like, and no, that's, there is, was a is, that, is that not rape apologist history? Oh, but isn't that not real life for the man who was guys like, oh, I didn't do that. You're seeing it your own way. And 100%. That's, and the girl literally has to say, here's the scar you, to prove my Literally, story. like, are you, are you, are you dense? Did you not? <laughs> In this fantasy that you thought about where I was the love of your life, did not my will come in any of the equations that you did, like what I wanted was never on the on the table with Kilgrave. Never. He saw Jessica. She was a shiny new toy in the in the alley helping Malcolm, and he grabbed her up like anything else. This is a man who has not who has almost never been denied. Right. This is a man who has never not gotten never. what he wanted. Never. And, and when Jessica becomes a person immune to his toxic you know nature and immune to his ability to reel people in that drives him crazy i was watching the last episode yesterday and he talks in glee about what he would want to do to her if he was able to get her in, in, in under his control again and he talks about like i would i would want i would make her want me and then i would reject her so, yeah, oh, my God, yes, that's right. I would make you want me, and then I would reject you, and it would be a never-ending cycle. And I would just watch you wither you away. never getting what you want. Yeah, wither away, because you would never get what you truly want, which is me. That, holy sh- God damn it. it there's, a, there's a level of, uh, uh, there's definitely a sinister nature there. You know, and you, like I said, when he found her with Malcolm, he used his abilities, he enthralled her, and Jones immediately fell under Kilgrave's mind control powers, answering his questions. All that stuff. And like I said, they go on that date. Over the next few months, Kilgrave keeps 
Jones as his own prisoner, constantly using his powers to force her to spend time and have sex with him, which she, like I said, she always knew was rape, despite Kilgrave believing it was a real relationship. When Trish Walker would call Jones to check on her, his own, her own sister, Kilgrave would would say everything's fine. Don't need, don't even worry about it. And Kilgrave would treat her to dinner. At an Italian restaurant called El Riso, or El, oh, sorry, El Rosso, and uses vast wealth to keep her in five-star hotels. Um, but when push came to shove, it was never, ever, ever um, Jones's choice to do that. And I feel like that's the biggest thing about all this. When push comes to shove, it wasn't cho- Jones's choice. And so when you have a situation here where, you know, Jones is being brought in by Kilgrave and, like I said, five-star hotels and Italian restaurants, when Kilgrave speaks about this in-universe, he's talking about, like, well, if she didn't want to have sex with me, she shouldn't have taken all that. She shouldn't have went to the five-star restaurant. She shouldn't have went to the fancy hotel. What do you what did you think about Melissa Rosenberg's ability to showcase and portray rape apologists in this series? Because I think when push comes to shove, that man, that's absolutely ridiculous when push comes to shove. What's crazy about the gaslighting here is is that he, he's essentially not understanding what what that what he's doing is non there's no consent to when someone has no literal physical power so yes Jessica in in every way is a right to feel that she's being raped and has no say even though she's getting all these expensive cars and nice restaurants and and all this stuff it, it doesn't mean that she truly wants it's all about true wanting you know, when you just say to a person, you want to give me your car, and they give you their car, it's not consent. In, in a way, that's superpower manipulation. Right. So I, I, I get the way Jessica feels, and I love how it was handled here, that you, if you take away the superpowers of him saying whatever and getting whatever he wants, you could just see it as a charming man who... Behind closed and, doors, and, and isn't in many so charming. ways, charming men have done dang, like bad things uh, using their charm, right? Like have uh, strung women along and have done dangerous things. And I think that's what I think that's what makes Kilgrave a perfect antagonist. Is that initially, and when we look at him, he is a British man, you know, well refined. He has his uh, tailored suits and his you know purple uh, motif, and he seems like somebody who just. Uh, misunderstood and at one point we're playing around with the idea about whether or not he could be a hero and you know whether or not he can save people but at the end of the day it's all about Jessica it's all about the one that that got away at one point it becomes uh, it quickly becomes clear that Kilgrave's powers will only last 12 hours until he would need to give a new order and one day no new order was given and Jones became free of him for a few short seconds that we talked about and considered committing suicide and he thought that in those moments that was proof that she was in love with him for some kind of weird freaking reason oh no it's it, it, it's it is brilliantly realistic it, it's like the way that like um it was what you mentioned earlier that um oh, see I'm losing my head here 
of rich man, charming man, saying all no. these things, superpowers. Because right. sure, you just you just brought it up of the way <laughs> that whenever Jessica, in that moment where Jessica sees herself free of Kilgrave for what she said, 20, 10 seconds, right? In her head, like in her head, she's ready for suicide. In his head, he sees wow. I'm not controlling her, and she's giving me a smile. It's it's all it's oh, his God. confirmation and her escape. It, it's confirmed bias. That's the God. The it's like trying to find the word. It's confirmed bias that. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Confirmation he, bias. Yeah. Yep. That he he sees someone who isn't controlled. Also, it's very toxic. This is a very perfect writing to why the one that got away, quote unquote, one that got away, is a toxic mindset. Because look at all of the things Kilgrave did. To get back his one that got away. Very toxic yeah. mindset to have. We 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 deal with the upbringing of Kel Grave, like we said again. You know, born to two scientists who try and do their best to uh, you know work out an inoperable tumor. Um, we've seen what he was able to do while he was in a relationship with Jessica, and his return to New York City is hearkened by a bunch of death that happens. He wants Jessica to know that he's around, that he's back, and he uses somebody close to her, Malcolm, to take these pictures of her. When push comes to shove, even the the people that she should support, the police station, when she goes into the police station, everyone has their guns drawn on each other. It's a moment that shows the pure scale that Kilgrave has when it comes to his powers, where not even the protectors of New York City can be, uh, you know, relied on when push comes to shove. Then she, Then he's able to buy her childhood home He's able to try to turn baby face and try to get us to realize that maybe it's not all him. It's maybe how he was raised or how he was treated or the response to any of the trauma that he's given. When push comes to shove, we realize that he's truly sadistic. We have that scene of him in the sin bin where he gets put and trapped by Jessica and they bring in his parents and he causes his mother to kill herself. Then he kidnaps his power, his father only to increase his own power. Push comes to shove. He's rescued by Jerry. He goes through that whole uh, uh, thousand cuts motif that we see, which is absolutely gruesome. Absolutely, like, if you have any conscience, would never happen. But Kilgrave doesn't seem to care. At one point, when he's rescued by Jerry Hogarth and they go to, to her ex-wife's, uh, you know, uh, house, um, he gets treated. He gets, you know, sewed up. And then he's like, you know what? Screw that. Death by a thousand cuts. And makes Jerry get cut a thousand times by a knife by her ex by her ex uh wife just out of pure spite and pure malice. That was one of the hardest scenes I ever had to watch. Yeah, that was just complete malice to it. Where she literally says, How do you repay a thousand cuts? And he's like, You want your thousand cuts? Go take it. Go get go get it. Go get your death by a thousand cuts. And she, yes, she, she stopped at 30, but that's 30 slashes with a surgical scalpel. Like, like for people that don't understand, this isn't your garden variety kitchen knife where it's only going to cut the first layer, maybe second layer of your skin. This is a scalpel that's usually, that's usually used for surgery on the right. inside of your body. 100%. Like, so imagine how deep most of those cuts were. Uh, it was horrifying to watch, and the thing is, we see at various points 
that um you know the hold that Kilgrave is able to have on people, but he doesn't seem to care. The guy who told to screw himself, the guy who he tells to stand in, in you know in front of that fence forever, the guy who he makes commit suicide with the with the shears. At one point, he actively says he doesn't care about anybody that he puts to death. The only person. The one that got away. The only person that's under his crawl is Jessica Jones because when push came to shove and after killing Reva Connors, she was able to get away. And later on in the series where he has her demands that she let go, she doesn't. And she has that ability. That is has to also talk to the toxic nature of the, their relationship and PTSD that comes from a relationship. Having the power to resist. Having the power to say no, have the power to say, I don't care what you're saying, I don't believe you, and I'm not for you. And that's what Jessica Jones embodies at the end of this series. Uh, push comes to shove, and, and Kilgrave thinks that he's upped his levels, that he's become the be-all, end-all. He's eaten his own, like, he, they, they find a way to blend a fetus <laughs> and give him more powers, you know, when push comes to shove. But none of that, none of that ends up being the be-all, end-all, and none of that ends up having saving him because Jessica at the end of the day walks up to him even with all her powers and snaps his neck and boom Kilgrave is dead but it had to be Jessica to do it with everything that she had been through with everything that he had did done to her mind state her self-conscious all of that stuff it had to be Jessica to put him down and at various points people wondered what it would take for her to put him down in this instance it ended up being threatening Trish which shows so much about Jessica about Trish about that whole entire relationship but think of what it she was so she was so scared that her sister was gonna live a life of being raped that he had to save her that, that she had to like do everything that she thought she couldn't do and just kill him because yeah. honestly, if if she didn't, if he didn't threaten Trish, I don't think he would. She would have been able to kill him. No, it's it's all about Trish. It's all about Trish, as you'll see in later. Which seasons. is why she was the heart of season one for me. She um, was just... but, yeah, I, I I like the sin bin stuff. I like you know him making his mother kill herself. I I like in the sense of it, it being entertaining. Obviously, I wouldn't do any of that kind of stuff. You know, like I said, he gets her childhood home. He does a bunch of really sadistic and insidious things. Dude, he literally, like, recreate not recreated, cre- put back together everything. Her brother's room was just the same. Her room from, was just from, the like, same. From, like, surveillance footage, right? Dude, he even, yeah, he said I had to, like, look up what your room looked like online or something like that. Or, like, like the, the, the level of scary detailing that he went went to for, to get her house back. Which you would think as charming. That hell no! That's you would think it's this like oh my god he really likes her but no man it's all poisonous it's all garbage it's all Kilgrave and when push comes to shove and she becomes the person that can deny him that power he gets petty he gets angry he decides that he's gonna make her starve for the attention that she won't give him and that becomes the line I mean there was various lines before. But you needed to know that this guy is not a guy who's misunderstood. It's not a guy who just had a bad childhood. It is a guy who is choosing at every step of the, of the way to manipulate innocent people to get his own means across. And Jessica was the last person that he needed to trifle with. She snaps his neck, sorry, uh, and thus puts an end to Kilgrave, which is what Hope Slotman wanted. One hundred percent. 
Uh, Jerry's divorce, real quick. We're introduced to Jerry Hogarth in the pilot, and she's shown to be in a relationship with her receptionist while being married. The, the wife figures it out, uh, and there's a whole bunch of back and forth with uh, Jerry and, and um, Hogarth about getting her his sorry about Jerry getting Jerry's wife to sign the divorce papers. Push comes to shove. Like I said, a thousand cuts. Go back and watch it. It's absolutely <laughs> uh, mind-boggling. And, and at the end of the yeah, day, crazy. Jerry... Clemens dies in that episode, freaking... Isn't the, doesn't the episode end with the whole um, mass lynching in the restaurant? Yeah. So it's, then it's, Hope, it's, it's horrific. Hope dies it's that horrific episode. Stuff. No, Hope literally killed himself so that Jessica wouldn't keep saving her and lose focus on stopping Krograve. I'm like, yo, wait a minute. That's like martyrism to like the each degree. I, I personally like personal villains like this. I like villains that are getting at you because of some of a, of a personal uh, thing because it's pers- when it comes to being personal, it gets petty. You understand? The amount of people Kilgrave was willing to kill to prove a point to Jessica is petty. That's it. But that pettiness only comes from a source of emotion. And I think that uh, that's what they were trying to illustrate there. And like I said, with Jerry's divorce, um, her her wife is attacked at a train station. Jessica throws her on the tracks after a night of being drunk. Uh, there's a lot of talk about like what's gonna happen. Uh, there's a scene that breaks my heart where Jerry brings his her new girlfriend to the, a restaurant they've been to before, and the wife yep. is yep. like, "Are you fucking kidding me? Like, See? wow, you're just gonna give her everything." She's gonna well, order you a Terry Misu with a with a ring in it, and you're gonna feel like it's the the best day in the world and stuff like. That. Like, oh man, that shit is killing me. It's heartbreaking. Me. It's heartbreaking stuff. And as people uh, that are going through it, you know, you can feel that whole bumping into your ex at you uh, guys. It's, it's disgusting. It's, it's it's horrible. And let them all uh, burn in hell. But and then Jerry's Jer- Jer- just like, she can't have this restaurant. I'm like, bro, you no, can she can't. She there. can't have this restaurant. Petty like, pettiness. Jerry is left at the end of this series as somebody who had all the power in the world and seemingly is now diminished. Uh, her her ex is dead. Her current girlfriend is going to jail for murder, and her own you know uh, profile or her own what's what's that called? Um, her name, her reputation. Yeah, her reputation is all thrown uh, asunder, and her partners are trying to get her removed. So we see how how uh, far that goes, but definitely what I a like different is that end push where she shove, wasn't Daredevil, and Daredevil yeah, she yeah. was definitely different. Yeah, when push comes to shove, uh, it seems like Kilgrave is just motivated, hand over fist, to mo- to to be able to be in control of Jessica. So he absorbs parts of the fetus that he put in hope. Because <laughs> Hope at one point tries to get, you know, an, an abortion when she realizes that she's pregnant with his kid. So, uh, yeah. Which is Kilgrave, basically stem cell research. Yeah, Kilgrave instructs his father to do some research with his stem cells to see if he can up his power. And that results into the fight between Kilgrave, I'm sorry, between Luke Cage and Jessica Jones, which is heartbreaking as it is. But eventually, uh, Kilgrave has Jessica seemingly dead to rights. She, he is on the Hudson dock with a bunch of people fighting. Um, you know, he's causing people to fight just so that she can 
relinquish control and just listen to everything that he's saying. And when push comes to shove, she tricks him into thinking that he, she is in control of him. But, but I do love the callback from moment. the whole I love you thing with Trish. Yeah, and it's all for her sister, right? Yep. And so she has that moment, and she asks him to smile, and then she snaps his neck. Um, Kilgrave, we were given various instances to believe that his upbringing might have been the cause of what he did, but I think it stems way farther than that. Uh, we cannot excuse those who choose to make victims out of people who don't know better. We cannot excuse those who choose to take their power and their role in life as the dominant figure and, and, and enforce that on other people. And I think that this is what this series is trying to explain. Kilgrave, for the most part, is charming, he dresses nice, and he's rich. But that doesn't mean you can't say no to a guy like that. And at in Kilgrave's mind, why would anyone say no? Five-star hotels, five-star restaurants. It's all gaslighting. It's all lying about abuse. It's all lying about rape. And it's all disgusting. And that's why I like that those characters got the comeuppance that they deserved. 100%. Um, besides the, the police station scene, which I thought was absolutely amazing, this show has a bunch of different scenes that showcase the pure power that is Kilgrave's uh, ability but her ability to stand up to him in front of her sister kill him is gonna lead to ripple effects that lead into season 2 and season 3 of this show which you can listen to our full recap and review I also right think here. that Melissa Rosen is she doesn't I don't think both of us gave her enough credit in her visual storytelling in this season because there was a moment um, the episode aka saved by a, a sandwich or something like that where hey, like, get out of my way, you stupid sandwich. Where she was dressed as, like, the sandwich, and she saves the little girl, and she's like, I was saved by a sandwich. Me, you know how I am with interpretations. My head literally went to, oh, my God, they're trying to tell you that Jessica Jones is being a hero. Get it? She was a giant hey, I like sub. That. I she, like was that. Giant seer, she was a giant hero. When is, like, uh, I think it, I don't know if it's Mr. Sunday Movies or the guy who does the co-hosting for him. His dream is to always be the guy who does a cameo in a New York City busy sidewalk that goes, Hey, get out of the way! <laughs> <laughs> so the idea that this guy was like, Hey, get out of your way, you dumb sandwich! <laughs> like, that was... <laughs> yeah, the second another level of, of all that. Also, another thing we didn't talk about, Trish uh, made Jessica's suit. The, the comic jewel book outfit. Yeah, the comic book accurate blue and white Power Girl suit. But one diamond. Yeah, with the little diamond on the thing. Yeah, she brings it out out of nowhere. I'm like, oh, I, I was like the Leonardo and DiCaprio he, meme. He, <laughs> you know, he finds her in a situation where she's saving Malcolm. She wants to be a hero, and he beats that out of her. It's a oh damn God. shame. It's a damn Man, shame how relationships she, can the completely... The first time she was ever being a hero, she ends up meeting Kilgrey. That's enough to make a person, you know, trauma. That's enough to give someone trauma. Right. My first time and doing it, good, and I meet my enemy. Hundred percent. And if push comes to shove, and you want to see how this drama still affects Jessica, even without Kilgrave being present, go back, listen to our season two and season three uh, coverage of the Jessica Jones Show. And the Marvel Netflix universe is brilliant. 
It's so cool. Go back and watch Jessica Jones Season 1. I'm telling you, you'd love it. Kilgrave is one of the best cinematic villains the MCU has ever had. So you are owing yourself to go back and watch that. Watch Erin Moriarty before she becomes Starlight. Become a, a, a bit player in this comic book universe. It's so cool. It's so rewarding. And this show itself is so uh, empowering. Because... Jessica Jones starts off as somebody who is in complete fear of the man who had her in control. The guy who gaslighted her. who guy who tried to lie about the pure abuse that he had when it came to her. And when push comes to shove, she had the ability to stand, not only stand up to him, not only rid himself, herself of his power over her, but put an end to him ever having that power over anybody else. This is the empowerment story. This is the story that if you have PTSD, you should watch. And if you're a woman, I would say that this is the, this is the show. If you are weary about superhero shows, this is the show you watch because this is the human show. This is a show that goes to humanity. It's not dealing with, uh, you know, undead uh, Japanese ninjas uh, with 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 a, with a with a vengeance. It's not dealing with um, you know, Diamondback and, and, and Judas Missiles and all this other kind of stuff. It's very human. And it doesn't stay that way. Go back and watch Jessica Jones Season 1, ladies and gentlemen. I'm telling Please you, do. you'll be fully rewarded. I, 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 and I also, once again, I think it, it serves a purpose that we give a, a bit of a trigger warning to our female audience that, yes, that 9 out of 10 chances you probably were in a relationship with a guy like Kilgrave, and it's going to seem very relatable in all the wrong ways but just trust me when i tell you it's worth the price of admission because this is a very perfect character for female empowerment and i know we missed stuff hit us up let us know what you think about it let, me, let us know what your point of view is when it comes to it because i want to know what you guys think about this series if, you, if you've gone back and revisited what you remember from the first time going through that's what's all important when push comes to shove the thing is everybody here jerry uh, Will Simpson, Trish, Jessica, everyone's dealing with trauma. Whether it's trauma brought upon them by their parents, whether it's trauma that they reach later on in their adult life, when push comes to shove, all our lives are a result of our response to the trauma that we have endured. And this show is a strong contender as to showing oh, why that perfectly. matters. Why yeah. what you do matters. You say it all the time. The, the difference between a hero and a villain is how you handle trauma. Look how right. Jessica handled her trauma as opposed to how Kilgrave handled his. Right. Both grow up orphans. And it's not to say that Kilgrave didn't understand. have a bad childhood, but was it a childhood that warrants killing other people? I don't know. I don't think no childhood warrants killing other people because at the end of the day, you can have the worst childhood in the world and become you know, a, a civil rights leader or a Nobel Peace Prize runner or a, the scientist that cured the cancer. Like, there's, right. there's times arrow marches forward. And, you know, you can, you, how long till we just stop giving the excuse of childhood trauma? I, as well, somebody there is that grew up no with excuse trauma, when it comes to the Major Issues podcast. No excuse We try to give you guys episodes free of charge every single week, and we have done so for close to three years now. We're over 150 episodes. We have two annuals in the bank, and we're running up on annual number three. I, I love this, this outlet. Uh, for the podcast I love this outlet for our listeners and they seem to love it they seem to like share and subscribe it and I am so thankful that we have this this uh, uh, platform because when push comes to shove we can sit here and talk about capes and cowls all day when push but 
in my opinion, the human experience is littered and uh, sprinkled with trauma. And if we don't understand how to deal with that, if we don't understand how to move forward from those who choose to prey on us and our optimism, we will never grow as human beings. And this show, I think, is the first step to many people in understanding not only their trauma, but how to move past Oh, 100%. It. This is one of the first shows that I, that I felt like if this show existed and since this show did success, a, a Mr. Miracle show could be perfectly in the works. Yeah, a Century right? show would be perfect. Give me a show with an overweight Century played by Matthew McConaughey with a belly that, that kills his dog because he thinks it's a demon or <laughs> right. whatever. Like, you know, give, you know, the, Jessica Jones just opens the door for being able to do these gritty, noir, real realism type superhero shows that handle actual emotions and not scripted, written emotions. Exactly. And I think they do it incredibly well. So thank you to Kristen Redder. Thank you to M- M- Melissa Rosenbaum. Thank you to Marvel. Thank you to Netflix. You guys knocked it out of the park. And if there's anything that we missed, let us know. Because we've done so many episodes of the Major Issues Podcast at this point. We've done over 150. We've done uh, Jessica Jones Seasons 2 and 3. So this will pair quite nicely with the rest of it. Um, go back and listen to those episodes. Go back and listen to our loose cake uh, Luke Cage episodes. Um, all of it is part of a motif that is Marvel Netflix, and then go back and into that eulogy that is what it is. But the great part about it is, if you're looking for where you can find every episode of the Major Issues podcast, they're all available at ComicBookClick at Major Issues. Oh, ComicBookClick.com slash Major Issues, or just go to ComicBookClick.com. That's the one stop for all the things that we do in Major Issues, whether it be articles, merchandise, or anything else, including every single episode of the Major Issues podcast. It's the quickest way to find us and listen to every single one of our episodes. And you can always comment on the webpage itself, and we will get the message right away, which is incredibly important when it comes to interaction. But if you don't want to follow us at comicbooklick.com, if you already have a podcast app, on your phone, we're available wherever podcasts are found. That's Stitcher, Podbean, the Podcast Addict app, uh, YouTube, TuneFind, Spotify. We are available anywhere. Just type in Major Issues Podcast and we'll be the first ones to pop right up because we're always talking about the newest, hottest, latest, and greatest things to come to comic books and comic book media. We're also all over social media. Uh, we're at facebook.com slash comic book click, Instagram at comic book click, and we use the hashtag comic book click to talk about the newest, hottest, latest, and greatest things to come to comic books and comic book media. We're also at Major Issues CBC on the Twitter machine. Uh, Dan, do you have any socials you want to give out at the moment? Uh, well, I guess you can find me, uh, you know, facebook.com slash Dan Georgie. You can find me at uh, Instagram slash at Dan's Comics, D A N. S C O M I C S C B C Dance Comics C B C. Uh, that's really it. Oh, I'm, oh wait, I am on the Twitter machine now, so that's probably the number one place where I would tell everybody to come reach out, talk, do questions or whatever. And my Twitter is Comic Book Man C B C at Comic Book Man C B C is my official Twitter. Hit up the comic book man, and especially hit him up for the next episode because I am formally relinquishing the reins of this podcast for the next episode. When we come back in seven days, we will come back to tackle an extremely unique, an extremely one-of-a-kind show, Stargirl. Oh, oh my God. You and people when we aren't do, even ready. 
When we do, I am putting Dan the Comic Man. Front and foremost, he loves this show, but me and you guys at home are daring him to prove that Dan will be hosting the next episode of the Major Issues Podcast, talking about Stargirl, and I will just be a simply lowly guest. But I can't wait to talk about the unique things they were able to do in that show and how it changes television for comic book TV shows in the future. But, first and foremost... I thank you guys for listening to this episode. I thank you guys for listening to all the episodes. But this has been our Jessica Jones Season 1 Recap and Review. Which went absolutely great. Uh, my name is George Serrano, a.k.a. The Don. I am Dan, the comic book man. And this has been just another occasion for us to get together and chop it up. And remember, whether or not you were having surgeries as a child that gave you powers where you can compel people whether a car accident has led to superhuman strength and superhuman durability whether you feel like you just need a little coffee like Luke Cage or you just need a little bus stop like Reba Connors remember that we are the click and remember no trauma is too big we are together we love each and every one of you because you Yes, you are worthy.